Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I am super excited for today's episode with our good friend, Drew B. Darby. Drew is a dear friend of mine, uh, former co-worker. I often refer to him as the goat of trail and running media, and I think there's a lot of merit to that. He is an incredible photographer, videographer, filmmaker, creative producer, Whatever you want to call him, he's super, super talented, and it was an honor to chat with him today. If you are an aspiring photographer, videographer, maybe somebody looking to get into creative freelance type of work, this episode is going to be right up your alley. Uh, and even if you're not interested in that, and you just are a fan of running or just a fan of cool stories in general, I think you're still going to enjoy this episode. Just a little bit of background on Drew. He grew up in Pennsylvania, went to high school, college out there. He's shot, directed, edited several documentaries and short films. He's done the freelance photo and video life. He's worked for production companies. He worked for a nonprofit focusing mostly on prisons and highlighting different stories within the prison system here in the United States. But more recently, he is focusing on endurance sports such as running and cycling, shooting some of the most epic and well-known trail races and ultra marathons, working with elite runners like Sally McRae. And not only do we dive into his story today, but what we can learn from that. And if you guys enjoy this episode... Please share it with a friend, send it to somebody who you think might get some value out of this episode or who might enjoy listening. Uh, if you don't mind also leaving a review, that can also go a very, very long way for the podcast. I've really enjoyed doing these podcasts for the last six months. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to them and by sharing it and leaving a review, it can allow me to continue doing these podcasts. So before we dive into this episode, I want to first tell you about our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Switchback. Switchback is a community brand that my friend Brock and I started working on earlier this year. We we're both searching for a high quality electrolyte product without all the garbage like sugar and artificial sweeteners. And we also wanted something that had a more effective ingredient profile where you didn't have to take several servings in order to get the right dosage. So we set out to formulate our own. Each serving of electrolytes has a thousand milligrams of sodium, which helps to reduce headaches, keep you properly hydrated throughout the day, prevents bonking and cramping during a race or a hard workout. It also has 400 milligrams of potassium, which also helps to prevent cramping and proper hydration. We also added in 500 milligrams of coconut water powder, which is a great source of natural electrolytes. It also helps with the flavoring of the product. And another addition that we made was estrogen. This is a compound that helps with nutrient and vitamin absorption. We've never seen electrolyte supplements add this in there, and we think that it can really make a big difference. And the science is there to back that up. Switchback is also free from any added sugars. We use stevia to sweeten it. But aside from a high-quality electrolyte product, we also wanted to build a community and provide a place for individuals to connect with other like-minded people through the common interest of health, wellness, and running. We'll also be partnering with group runs all throughout the country. We've already had several meetups here in Austin, Texas, but we really want to be the fuel source for all of those memory-making moments, which often happen at those group runs. We've had some really, really amazing feedback from everybody so far on the flavor, the ingredients, the design, and the community aspect of everything. You guys can check us out at goswitchback.co to shop our electrolytes as well as find out where our next group run will be but again go switchback.co go check us out 
This podcast is also sponsored by Two Before Performance Nutrition. I've been taking Two Before for over six months now. I used it for the Boston Marathon. I used it for a couple of my ultra marathons this year. I've been using it all throughout my Chicago Marathon training, and I'll be using it for the Chicago Marathon that's coming up in just two weeks. Two Before is an all-natural pre-workout or pre-run powder that is made from blackcurrant berries. If you don't know what blackcurrants are, I did not know what they were before I learned about two before, but they are a berry. They do not grow in the U.S. either, by the way, but they are a specific berry that grows in New Zealand. And because of the environment that these particular black currants grow in in New Zealand, they are very, very rich in this compound called anthocyanins, which essentially, to just keep it short and simple, helps with immunity, helps with recovery, and helps you perform better in aerobic or endurance activities such as running. I started incorporating two before into my pre-run routine uh, before a hard speed workout or a long run. And let me tell you, I can truly, truly tell a difference. This stuff really works. It's not snake oil, but I can certainly assure you that two before does make a difference. I've noticed it firsthand in all of my training um, during a workout, especially the recovery aspect of things. If you guys want to give two before a try, you can use my code jmiller for $10 off your order at twobefore.com. I cannot recommend two before enough, and I hope you guys give it a shot. Again, you can use my code jmiller for $10 off your order at twobefore.com. All right, with all that being said, let's dive into this episode with Drew B. Darby. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. Every week, I chat with fascinating people from all walks of life in order to bring you knowledge, inspiration, and insight. If you enjoy the show, you can support it by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. This is the Jeremy Miller Podcast. All right, Drew B. Darby, welcome to the podcast, dude. So glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Thanks for putting the B in there. Very important for branding. Dude, the B is so important, I feel like. It distinguishes you. There's actually, you probably heard this. Is there? There's like a psychological study or something about how, that's why all, most presidents or like a lot of like CEOs and like really high level people, they put their middle initial in their like official name when they're like running for office or applying for jobs or whatever because it has like a psychological effect when people read it. It feels more professional. Okay, so that's not, the reason that I did it was because the domain was not available. <laughs> DrewDarby.com, love Drew Darby, he's a Texas representative. Uh, he had the domain, Drew B. Darby was available, and so I was like, I, I think this was junior year of high school, and I said, you know, this is the brand now. We, we put in the B, so I can just own that. Well, um, But cool to know, hey, psychological effect. Dude, it, it feels like different. every time I hear Drew B. Darby, I'm like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's got that middle initial. Yeah, it's the brand. (laughs) Uh, When you uh, were creating that domain name, did you know you'd eventually move to Texas? Oh, no. Had no idea. (laughs) Had no idea. I mean, I was just a kid making bad movies with my friends and like posting my photos. I've been posting them on Blogspot, you know, my little photo blog. And I was like, "Uh, you know, maybe we should have something a little different, something a little more professional to put my photos. And that was just kind of the start. No, I had no idea what uh, it would turn into. Living in Texas. And... Dude. It's like you've come a long ways. When, yeah. When did you first get into all the media stuff? Yeah. I mean, I had a funny conversation with another Austin creative a couple of weeks ago, and he said, it feels like you've been in this forever. And I both like really associate with that, but also, I don't know, I still get carded everywhere I go. Like I get asked, <laughs> I've been in the past year asked, can you sit in the exit row without 
your parent. Uh, so you know, Wait, like, carded like like you're not 21. Is that what yeah, you mean? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> on a, on an airplane at a, a bar or whatever. Like I still get card. So like I still feel very like I still feel very young. But also, yeah, I mean, I kind of did grow up with a camera in hand. Not like I mean, my parents weren't in the industry or anything. My mom for sure um, is a creative, and my dad like loves music and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I I grew up with a camera in hand just because in the summers with my friends, you know, that was the thing. My dad like gave me his old tape camera oh, that's and cool. that was kind of the origin where it was like just something to do during the summer. And so we would just go around and film, I mean, whatever, like film our Lego action figures. We made like a WWE wrestling show <laughs> in my basement. Those clips are out there somewhere. Uh, but how old were you when, when you like first got that camera? Oh, man, that, I mean, I was still in like elementary school age. Like this oh, was wow. before middle school. So Yeah. That, I mean, Dang. I might have been eight or nine, like just like running around with this tape camera. No wonder um, you're so good, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, hey, there, there were a lot of years of like figuring out exactly what to do and, yeah. and for sure. But yeah, like it started out with that. And then I remember at some point my big birthday present was like my own new camera. It was still tape at the time um, just because that was cheaper. Like digital cameras were kind of around, but they were expensive. How and old are you? Just for reference, how old are you now? I'm 27 now. Okay. Yeah. So you were born in 95? 96. 96, okay. Yes. So this is like like 2005, like early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. I want to say that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, so that was like, when did the first digital camera come out? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, that was early 2000s when like digital photo cameras mm-hmm. were coming out. And I remember it was a big deal when, I don't know if Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, but like by the time Star Wars oh, Episode yeah. Three came out, that was like, they are shooting all digital. And it was like, whoa, like this is a big deal that a Hollywood movie is all digital. But I mean, I was coming up, yeah, tape was cheaper. And then when I bought my first camera, um, like my first like real camera, junior year of high school, I bought a Canon T3i, like the 5D Mark II had been out for a little bit. And that was really where... Um, I think a lot of the roots for, especially the people who I came up with, like yeah. my age, like that was the roots of large format digital and it was accessible to everyone mm. at that point. So you started shooting tape, film obviously, like video. And then uh, when you got that T3i, did that shot digital video too? Yes. Yeah, and so digital photos. And digital photos. Yeah. So I was definitely more into photography at that point. Mm. I took a film photography class. My high school still offered it, um, had an awesome instructor, a super talented photographer. And so it was really fun to like learn that whole darkroom side and figure it out. Like I can't say, I I don't still develop my own film or anything like that. It was was a little complicated, but it was cool to get to get used to that. But yeah, the digital, I was really into photo for sure in high school. I remember buying that camera. It was a lot. It was like $800, which for a junior in high school, that's like not nothing. Um, to spend Damn. that much like all in one go on a camera. But I mean, I still remember going out on a shoot and being like, oh, flip it into video mode. And <laughs> I didn't know how to do manual exposure at that point. And so I just couldn't get the auto exposure to look right. And having the conversation with my friends there of like, this just doesn't look right. I don't know if we can shoot because I had no <laughs> idea. But then like I messed around with it and somehow figured out manual mode, like put it into that and like it looked good enough to work on the day. But I mean, there were some, there were growing pains. And I, when I say, and I, I say this to everyone, like truly like the roots were making bad films with my friends. <laughs> like that was it. I was not an auteur director, like producing mind blowing anything at that stage. Like when, we, were, uh, we were really still figuring it out step by step. Do you remember the first 
kind of thing you made like outside of the when you're playing around with the tape as a as a little kid like the first thing you shot with like that camera the first like thing you edited and, and like produced yeah i made a film with two friends of mine still good friends to the day um we actually had this really great we added on a couple more people later on in high school but two guys who were in my class you know i went to pretty small school i graduated with 85 kids so the fact i look back at like the people who i was surrounded with the fact that in this small group you know i mean i didn't again it was a right. small school but they were so talented. But the three of us, we got together and we were like, hey, let's just make a, let's make a little film. Like we've been shooting some photos together. My one friend did music and we we're like, we have 24 hours. Like we have a weekend, you know, we got to get back to high school at some point. We don't have all this time, but we made a film in 24 hours and we like, we wrote it, we shot it, we edited it all in 24 oh hours on that camera. And like, I look back at it and yeah, I mean, it's a bad film. It's weird. It's wacky, but like I also saw the gear starting to turn. Like I was figuring out, okay, what does it really look like to make something that's not just like it's a single medium or wide shot and like the action just takes place within the frame. Like how does the camera start to play mm -hmm. into crafting a film itself? Like where you put it, being intentional with, with lensing and that kind of thing. Um, and also starting to figure out where the limitations of my gear were at that point. Because I mean now when people ask me, they're like, what camera should I buy? Yeah. And that's always a hard question for me because I remember buying that T3i and I remember replacing the firmware on it with a side-loaded firmware and figuring out all the different picture profiles, like what was the best one? And I mean, I was adding new firmware to this camera because it didn't have manual audio control. Oh my God. Which is like something that we take for granted now. Yeah. And now like I'm complaining sometimes my B camera crops in at 4K 60 frames per second and it crops in a little bit. And I'm like, oh, that's such a frame. <laughs> like I didn't have 60 frames a second yeah. on my first camera. And so it was just, a, yeah, that camera, oh, I, I really wish I still had my T3i, honestly, because that was like just such a good place to begin and a yeah. place to learn with like enough limitations that you can't, enough limitations, maybe you could still blame the gear, mm. but there was just so much freedom and flexibility of, no, I still need to grow and get better. I haven't quite reached the ceiling of this right. camera yet. Dude, that reminds me of Casey Neistat. Like his whole mantra of like, doesn't matter what you're shooting on, just get the shot. It's like the, how you're using the camera is what's gonna determine the quality of the product. Uh, like, I mean, all of his stuff or like, I mean, I always think back to like films in like the 70s, 80s or like older where it's like black and white. It looks from a quality perspective, it looks like shit, but it's like the story that they're telling and the creativity of the shots and the lighting and all this stuff. It's so much more than like, oh, this camera shoots 4K and this frame rate and these megapixels and all this shit. It's like, it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, and working within limitations, like, and we can get back to the story, kind of where things went from here. But I think about growing up shooting on tape, like a lot of people who I shoot with now, like they didn't shoot on tape. And while I wasn't editing deck to deck and that kind of thing, like I kind of was, I was doing most of my editing, um, on like a cracked copy of Final Cut Pro 7. <laughs> but just just where I came up was a lot of troubleshooting and a lot of making do. Like now, okay, you go out, you can crack Adobe Premiere and you can get it for free. Uh, not recommending that you do that, but like you can go crack and like you are always gonna be the limitation. It's yeah. never gonna be the software that's the limitation right. on you versus like I remember having to transcode every single clip to ProRes and like figuring out how do I do that and how do I store all of my stuff and right. I could only afford one hard drive. I lost everything from before my senior year of high school because my hard drive failed oh, and like no. I learned those lessons the hard way um, 
But yeah, just coming up with those limitations of tape and the limitations yeah. in the darkroom of shooting film, those were really great ways to teach me ways around and troubleshooting and figuring it out myself. Because too, at that time, like there wasn't a wealth of back knowledge on digital filmmaking. Everyone was just kind of figuring it out as they went and sharing as they went right. along. And so all of those, I, I can tell a difference and not saying that makes anyone better or worse, but I can tell a difference in a working environment with people who came up at that time where we were all just like troubleshooting, trying to make it work. It wasn't go on Amazon, spend $15, get a slider. It was, you went to Home Depot and you got PVC pipe and you tried to figure out how to make a slider or you got furniture sliders and you put them underneath your tripod. I have vivid oh memories of like the furniture sliders underneath the tripod getting these smooth shots. And I was like, whoa, this is cinema. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Whereas like now it would be like, oh, just go on Amazon, buy a, buy a slider. Yeah. Like it won't be great, but it would probably be better than my furniture slider, little janky tripod right. rig. But I mean, we were just figuring it out at that point. I feel like the it makes it so much more fulfilling, though, when you're, like, creating. It, again, it reminds me of Casey Neistat, where he's, like, you know, rigging all this stuff up from, like, PVC pipe and plywood and, like, the stuff that should not be used in filmmaking, really. But you get the same look. You get the same effect of it. Um, I feel like it's just so much more fulfilling that way, too. And you, you learn more of, like, the fundamentals of it, I feel like, versus just, like... Like you said, everything's on Amazon that you could ever need now. Like, especially with camera stuff, it's like mm -hmm. there are literally no limitations to that stuff now. Were you always like obsessed with movies and like film and stuff like that? So that's why I didn't really watch a lot of movies really? growing up. Didn't watch, like, we didn't have cable TV uh, when I was what? growing up. Um, Dang. Yeah, just kind of, my parents weren't really, it was like sort of like some people might say it's like restrictive sheltering that kind of thing like whatever like you know i was homeschooled that kind of stuff but that, my parents just weren't really into that like most of what i watched honestly was like old black and white movies my mom loved fred astaire mm. and like like these musicals and stuff like that so i watched a lot of those um but for sure i also started to get into these like big epic scale i was also writing a lot at that time i, I wrote a ton in middle school and high school fantasy adventure these oh. like big worlds and i was watching lord of the rings i was watching star trek i was watching star wars and this whole like you can create something that doesn't exist uh, like it not just like filming what's around you it's right. like you can create this whole other world and Dude. so for sure those were those were the big and then i mean i guess it would have been in high school probably that the dark knight came out and like i got introduced to christopher nolan and then that <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, those yeah. films and so many people who came up with us know those films as like, whoa, that really opened my eyes to like yeah. this. It's not just like cool world building, all this other stuff, but these just like so well crafted, deep meaning stories yeah. were being told on like the biggest screen possible. And that was so cool. That was so cool to me to like really see what the potential could be for filmmaking that's so cool it's honestly surprising you didn't really watch a lot of tv or movies like i remember i think it's quentin tarantino that worked like blockbuster i think it was him he would just watch like every movie all, like he just sit in blockbuster and watch movies all day and then he's like becomes one of the greatest directors of all time um so that's so crazy that you didn't really watch a lot of stuff but dude lord of the ring that was that was my jam i love lord of the rings oh yeah we've seen that that's probably what i've seen that and the dark knight are probably yeah. what i've seen the most of over the do years. you have a favorite uh film director now i mean christopher nolan will be up there uh, yeah. i gotta give a nod now living in austin to terrence malick like terrence malick's films what's really he, what's he done um most people know him for the tree of life um the new world there's knight of cups there's some of his older work mm. um as well that i'm not as well familiar with but he's just a very 
he's really lived into like his own style and way of filmmaking. Like I won't compromise for anything to make it the way I want to make it. And I think that definitely like I, I aimed for that (laughs) and missed a lot, you know, (laughs) over the years, but he, yeah, him and and Christopher Nolan for sure. And I also, dude, I love Michael Bay too. Like I love Michael Bay because Michael Bay says, this is what I want to make. This is the style it's going to be. And we're just going to go do it. I just, I, I love that like singular vision right. and that singular dedication to like, this is just going to be, the piece is going to be, it's cohesive. His body of work is super cohesive oh, because sure. it's just like, I know the style that I like and I'm going to do it. He's done like Transformers. I think he did like Day After Tomorrow. What Day After Tomorrow. Um, I want to say Pearl Harbor. Mm. And then there've been more recently, uh, just some like one-off Netflix yeah. films, but they all, I mean, you could watch a sequence from any of them and be like, yep, that's yeah. definitely Michael Bay. Lots of explosions. Lots of yeah. explosions. <laughs> lots of big, lots of big fancy camera moves. Yeah. Um, but he knows how to, you know, he knows how to create a moment and he knows how to create a feeling. Um, and I think that's what, as I, as I grew up and kind of matured a little bit, that's what I took away from it is that not just mm. like, he also knows how to create spectacle. He knows how to create like the big spectacles. And so that's what I took away is just like, okay, so what is he trying to tell? He isn't just trying to like just show you an explosion, right? Like he's trying to create this like this scale and this feeling and this emotion that will propel you into and like keep you locked in the seat. Like right. and he true he creates cinema for the cinema screen. Yeah. Like it's best viewed on the biggest screen possible, for sure. Dude, that's one of my favorite parts about movies is like there's not a lot of other things make you feel like like movies do like mm-hmm. like a movie can if it's done well can make you feel every emotion on the the human emotion spectrum that it's possible it's like you can feel sad or angry or scared or whatever it is like it's just if it's done well with like music and the the pacing and that's one of my favorite things because it's like this escape and it's like the emotion I and mean, we were emotional creatures so it's like that's i think that's what makes movies so cool are you uh it sounds like you're into like fiction a lot which is surprising yeah, which is surprising given uh, where my work has, has gone. But yeah, that's my roots was making, like all the short films I made with my friends were narrative. Really? Um, that's why our little skits are so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes we get to flex those muscles. But yeah, dude, like I was writing, I mean, I've written, are they good? No, but I've written thousands, tens of thousands of words, hundreds of thousands of words, like as a, as a high schooler, even really? going into college, I wrote a, I had a class my senior year writing a big screenplay. And I mean, that one. I have dreams someday of like making a pilot or something like that. But, you know, I've gotten... That'd be sick. I don't want to say I've gotten distracted, but like I've just... I found other things. I think for a while I thought, okay, film industry means you come up a very specific path. You go like, I've always been into camera. So I was like, okay, here's the camera department. You're like, you're a trainee, you're an AC. Uh, maybe you have to start all the way at the bottom as a PA maybe, but then you go up to AC, eventually you're a camera operator, eventually you're a DP and eventually you're friends with Steven Spielberg. Like that was my conception of like, okay, filmmaking and, and video, like this is what it is. Cause that's a lot of the voices that I was um, like, YouTube was huge in, in mm-hmm. me coming up, like watching channels like film, Riot and stuff like that, uh, who are some of like the OGs of YouTube oh, yeah. and their aspirations were for filmmaking, like in the Hollywood sense. And so that's just kind of where I thought, logically things would end up like i remember my first interview to work at a production company in in college they asked me he was like what do you want to do after like what do you want to do with film and video after school that kind of thing i was like yeah like i want to make big movies and he was like that's cool that's awesome why are you coming to a production company that makes corporate video 
And I was like, oh. That's when things started mm-hmm. to diverge a little bit was in college. And not just like, not like I was saying no to one dream, but like my eyes were kind of being open to, oh, you can work with cameras, you can be creative, you can be do storytelling. And it doesn't just have to be in this one mm. system. So did you gravitate towards like the more corporate stuff because that was like what was interesting or that just seemed like the next step? I mean, for sure, like it was because that was what was going to make money. Mm. Um, I remember very distinctly setting the goal my, I guess it was coming into 2015, so second semester of freshman year. You know, New Year's resolutions, they're, they're tacky, whatever, they're weird. But like I've always enjoyed the new year, like at having a very tangible goal. Uh, a very accomplishable goal. And to 2015, my goal was I want to like do an actual project that I make money from with video. You know, you do the, like the little one-off thing for a friend or a family member. Right. You make a couple bucks here or there. Maybe you win a contest, you win like a gift card. Uh, but I was like, okay, I want to do an actual project because at that point I'd figured out, okay, photography's fun. I'm just as good at video and less people are good at video so I can make money that way. And that just kind of was where it landed was businesses needed money or that was kind of (laughs) (laughs) businesses do need money (laughs) business money uh businesses need marketing and it was going to be easier for me instead of like i remember exploring like crowdfunding for a film that i wanted to make and i was like so i have to raise thousands of dollars from like what friends and family and hope people get excited and i had seen so many of these kickstarters or whatever fail and i was like or i can go to a local business or a friend who works with a nonprofit and mm. they'll pay me and cover my time to make a video. I was like, okay, well for right now as a kid with a T3i who wants to eventually like get other cameras and stuff, it's like that might be the way to go for now. Right. Did you uh did you go to film school after high school? So, I went to I did not go to film school. I went to a pretty traditional four-year liberal arts college, mm. uh the College of William Mary, Williamsburg, Virginia. Um my degree is in film and media. I will say the program I went through was very theory heavy. A lot of watching mm. movies, a lot of writing about movies, and there were two or three production classes, but the production side of the degree was like very new. So mm. I don't say I went to film school because it wasn't like a, a NYU or a USC, right. very intensive film program it was, I did film and media, I did marketing on the side, and I went to a liberal arts college. Do you feel like going to that uh, or getting that film and what was it film film what was film it and media film and media degree uh do you feel like that helped you at all like in your journey in your process it definitely it definitely did um and i know that especially in the creative field it can be kind of a contentious topic yeah. college or not <laughs> i will say i'll give context to this in that i came from a, a position of privilege right where my my grandparents some of whom were the first in their family to go to college they made it a point of hey our grandkids are gonna we want to give them the opportunity to go to college. And so I owe so much to my grandparents, to my parents for making it possible for me to go to college. Cause I know it's not possible um, just financially or yeah. just time-wise for some people. For me though, it was crucial to my development. Like I think I needed to go through that program because I was making bad films with my friends in our free time. I was not ready to step into a production company and really offer anything of value like right after high school at the age of 17. Um, and so I needed that time to develop. I needed to, to meet people. I needed the opportunity. I mean, college, uh, 
College afforded me the opportunity to work with cameras that I could never have afforded. You know, the film program did have gear. Canon was a big supporter of the film mm. program. And so I was able to get my hands on cinema cameras, any lens that I wanted, high-end photo cameras that I could never Damn. have afforded, like at 17, 18, even 19, yeah. you know? And so I was, there were, there were computers, there were laptops, there were iMacs, we had audio workstations, all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, like did the classes themselves make it possible for me in my everyday life now as a, as a full-time filmmaker and creative? Like, uh, maybe not. But everything that came along with it, right. uh, the connections that I made working at the media center on campus, that made all the difference. And going through a program where I was able to in the summers, go and intern at a production company. That was equally as important. I wouldn't say yeah. you have to go to college, but I see a significant difference. Not that I won't work with somebody who hasn't worked at a production company or something like that. I see such a huge difference though with with young uh, people coming up in the industry. Those who have like worked in a traditional production company environment, there's a big difference between um, somebody who's done that and somebody who's just figured it all out on their own. Did you end up uh, working for that production company that, that did a lot, a lot of the corporate stuff during college? Yeah, so I worked for them for two summers. Uh, summer after my, would have been my sophomore year <laughs> and my junior year. Uh, we talked about something after that, after graduation. Things ended up not working out. You know, companies get sold, companies move on, that kind right. of thing. What was that like working for a production company? I've worked for like a marketing agency. I'm sure they're kind of similar. What is a production agency like? What's a day in the life look like there? Yeah, so it was it was small. There were three full time employees, and then myself interning, and then a couple of contractors. So they had their hands in marketing as well. Like they were pitching with having to do creative treatments and that kind of thing. But it really just taught me the level of polish and the level of professionalism that's required across the board, from mm. communication in the beginning to delivering the project to working through edits on projects that. Somebody's writing a check for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Like there is a different standard of customer service. There's a different standard of professionalism when you're talking about budgets like that. And my eyes were opened like immediately from I mean, yes, I was getting paid work, but it was like right. one off, two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks, make a video. Everyone was just stoked because, oh, I didn't have to do this on my on my own, like in iMovie, you know, and then walking into we're going to, I remember my sophomore year, we went to a resort in Mexico. We shot 21 commercials in 12 days. Jeez. Um, and then we had to come back and do post work and edit all that. I'm not saying those were the best thing. To, like we learned a lot. Like there was still, I think there were some growing pains for the production company itself. Yeah. But understanding this, the, the expectation of like what is expected of you to deliver at that level was so crucial to my development. Dang. That's a lot of pressure, it sounds like. It was a lot of pressure. I remember operating camera. I wasn't like the lead camera operator, but you know, eventually we split crews and I was operating camera on one of the commercials, you know, and shooting on my own. And the client uh, was on set, you know, watching the monitor or whatever. And then afterwards she was like chatting with me and she was like, Wait, like how old are you again? And I'm like, Yeah, like I'm nineteen. And she was like, Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I could tell in that moment of like why why are we spending all this money to fly these people out and i was oh, like dang. oh no like she's going to be like double checking everything i do and they they were like watching yeah. pretty closely from then on but yeah i mean i think that that sort of pressure has played into like the stuff that i shoot now where yeah. there are a lot of like there's only one shot opportunities like right. with these with these races that i'm filming right now it's like yeah that that finish line moment is one moment um you kind of have to get it and lock it in and 
I do pretty well in those situations. And I think a lot of that started with building that confidence um, and also working alongside. I worked alongside a great team. I was mentored by an awesome director of photography who's doing big stuff right now. I worked with a, like the head of the production company was super demanding, super detail oriented, but like that totally reframed how, I mean, that that's the reason that I got my first job in the industry, honestly, was because of his attention to detail and what he demanded out of all of us. And like, yeah, it also taught me a little bit about how not to manage uh, manage a team and, and how not to manage editors. Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything else. Dude, that's so cool. It makes a lot of sense now why you are the way that you are. Like when we shoot together, it's like, I know <laughs> you make it so easy for me because like, uh, dude, like even today, we have a shoot after this and it's like, four hours before and I still don't have the script figured out totally. And you're just like, here, let's just do this. And it's like the, I don't know, the detail and like professionalism, even like, even though we're just friends, like, you know, I don't care if you mess something up, but it's like, it's still there. I mean, I've made mistakes on shoots with you and it's also a big thing to me to own up to those. Like that's, that's something that I also saw at the production company was it wasn't just like make mistakes. And like, if something goes wrong, you don't just like, blame it on everybody else and then hope that the client is like, oh, whatever. No, you have to fix it. You have to make it right somehow, whether it's we go and reshoot or, okay, I'm going to have to handle the edit now instead of just passing it off to somebody else. Like those are the things that I watched this production company go through. And so that's just like built in now for me is that, yeah, yeah, we're friends and we have a great time on set, but also like I I have a standard and I don't want that standard to be lowered just because we're having fun on set. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I respect it for sure. Uh, what was the, uh, do you remember the first like paid gig you had, like freelance? So just to backtrack a little bit. So you, uh, high school, making fun friends with, or making fun films with your friends with the T3, uh, and then went to film school. We'll just call it film school after that. Uh, was there like a freelance period at all in between that? Or was it straight out of high school to school? Yeah, it was straight out of high school to college. Um, the first, so I had a summer internship with a nonprofit right after my freshman year. And that ended up turning into, uh, you know, a friend of a friend who worked there, ran a YouTube channel. And they no longer wanted to deal with the editing. Mm. And so that became my first. Actually, I worked with them for, I want to say, five or six years Dang. just editing. I mean, it wasn't a ton of videos. It was one, maybe two a month. But I mean, they were doing brand deals with, you know, brands like Allstate. Like that, mm-hmm. again, there's this standard when you're doing a yeah. brand deal that has the Allstate Are You In Good Hands logo stamped on the front and the end. And I was ready for that because of this this um, production company experience that I had. And so that was, I don't know if that was like the first paid gig that I had, but that was the first client that sticks in my memory mm-hmm. and that I got to keep doing repeat work. Because that's also something that I love doing. Um, and I'm sure that comes through in the work even now that I do is, yeah, the one-off projects are fun. Um, and sometimes there's a nice thing about like, you go and you shoot for a day, you shoot for two days, three days, you hand off the footage, you shake hands, and that's kind of it. But I love building those longer-term relationships where yeah. you get to develop like a shared understanding, a shared language for how the video goes, and a shared language for design and that kind of thing. And th- yeah, that was, that was fun to develop with. I didn't expect it. I expected it to be like three or four months, and then, you know they move on to somebody else, but it ended up, yeah, I, I want to say it was five or six years Dang. just chipping away at videos. And that was also where I started to dip my toe into affiliate marketing and like mm-hmm. building YouTube channels and optimizing for SEO and all those other things where they weren't asking me to do that at that stage. I do remember, uh, I think it was my senior year of college. I was like, Hey, I think I can make you guys some more money. 
and let me just play around with this. And they were like, sure, cool. why not? Like we've not, we don't really optimize our thumbnails or anything like that. We're doing fine. We're making money. And so that was where I started to, I'm not saying like, I'm not a thumbnail designer or anything like that by trade, but that's where I got to right. start experimenting, start seeing what worked. And it was at a scale that it made sense versus like my YouTube videos, you know, all right, we were getting like five or 10 views. If I change the thumbnail, that might not make a big difference. But when we're talking like 40, 50,000 views, right. that kind of thing, then it was like, okay, now we're at scale where I can start to see the impact of what are the different levers right. that I can push and pull to to get content out there. Dude, the YouTube game is crazy. There's just like there's so many variables. Like the thumbnail is obviously huge. The title, the description, like the tags. There's just like, there's so much that goes into the video. Like Mr. Beast is like probably the best example with all that stuff because he like had obviously optimized it. Like I remember him... You probably heard this. He talked about like he'd have these like daily masterminds with his friends when they were trying to figure out YouTube and they would just analyze every aspect of a video, like the hook, the ending, like the pacing of the video, everything. And it's just like they dialed it into this like crazy system that they have now. They're like they figured out YouTube essentially. But And it's so cool that YouTube YouTube has changed a lot. Like that's what I mean, what I came up watching. You know, I wasn't watching T V, but I was watching YouTube. Right. Um and it's been fun to watch YouTube change from being this like videos were three minutes and 30 seconds for like the longest time. It was like you either do a vine or you do like a three minute video. And like that was really? the format. And it was like, oh, don't make it too long or whatever. And now, I mean, the best performing YouTube video that I've ever like owned, directed, shot, edited, put on YouTube is 48 minutes long. It's 250,000 views. Which one is that? Uh, that was a film that I made with Sally McRae mm. uh, this year at the Coconut 250 called Every Step Forward. That um, one did better than uh, Choose Strong? Yes, that one did better really? than Choose Strong, um, which, and you know, things things are different when you work internally at a company versus where you have like more control. But like right. the, you know, I've worked two staff jobs in my life where YouTube has kind of been my job, but I've always been a little, um, there've always been other people who it's also like overlapping with and you know, when you work a corporate job, like there is some structure and that kind of thing. There's only so much that you can change and experiment with. Right. And so that was a fun one this year. Uh, that Every Step Forward was my first project after I went freelance, um, working with Camelback, who was an awesome supporter for that film. And that was a really fun one to like put into practice. All the stuff I've been seeing, I've been studying, yeah. I've been like practicing a little bit. Like my YouTube channel has grown a little bit beyond like five or 10 views, but like we're still not, I am not, don't go look me up on YouTube. It's not that cool. But you do, you've got great videos. You've had a few pop off, haven't you? I, I mean, pop off. Like we're talking like 40, 50,000 views hey, at, at the top. Yeah. You know, it, it was fun. I learned so much. That was the best yeah. thing was like learning so much there and then being able to apply that and see it because yeah, do I think that, and, and I don't expect anybody who listens to this to be familiar with my filmography, but basically, Sally McRae, um, good friend of mine, one of those people who now I've worked with over a period of time. I've shot a dozen races with her or whatever. You know, we, we talk all the time. I was late to this podcast because we were talking about our next film we're working on. But it's just fun to see, like, I think that the first film I made with her was better, but the second one did better. Yeah. And I think a lot of that second one was that I was able to really put into place some marketing and then just some tactics because what I love about filmmaking, especially online, is that there's there's art and there's tactics. Like, right. I think in high school and stuff, I was making these narrative films and everything, and it was just like, it was so art. There was no, like, why should people watch it other than, like, uh, you know me, you know my friend who's acting in it. Uh, and then like, I hope that if I put the name of the camera at the time, you would put the name of the camera in the title, like Panasonic oh, yeah. TH4 <laughs> short film, or like when I made a film in one shot, it was like one shot short film. And it was like, okay, you kind of watch it for the gimmick a little bit. Um, that was the only tactics that we would apply. 
but now it's fun to live at this intersection of like there's art but there's also tactics there's mm. thumbnail there's title there's building a good description to go along with it there's i mean i think mr beast does some awesome stuff for the content he does his editing style and yeah. like what you can learn from that maybe it doesn't really apply to like where i'm at which is still which is I mean, you could call anything storytelling at a certain point, but it's like, it's very, it's very character driven. It's very uh, documentary style content that I create, you know, but, oh, I hate that sentence. I don't want to say that. <laughs> I don't want to say content that I create. That's, 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 You're a content creator. Just face uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a content creator. Anyway, I'm glad you didn't ask me my title. I don't, I don't even have a word for that right now, but I just call you the, uh, how do I, I just say you're the goat of running media. That's, well, your, that's I, my I, official title for you. I appreciate the goat. I wouldn't throw the goat on there, but yeah, yeah. I, I live at this this fun intersection of endurance sports and cameras. That's basically the the job at this point. But yeah, anyway, what I was saying is that like that there is some. I think that's where the marketing, like the marketing side, going through this marketing program and stuff, was super valuable. And that also yeah. like scratch an itch that I didn't know I had was just like this. Okay, we make this cool piece of content. I spend three or four weeks living a film day in and day out. Um, I think that was the hardest part of, of making Choose Strong was that I lived that film eight weeks every single day. There wasn't a day that went by Jeez. where I was not working on that film. We were under an intense deadline. And then watching the day after, there'd be no real follow-up on it after the release. Um, That's tough. Was just, was tough. But also, like, I had put that expectation on everyone else that they would care as much as I cared. And yeah. it's like, no, you you were the one who cares. And so that's that's why this Kogodona film was so special to me for sure was that it was like, no one cares as much as you do. Okay. Here are the controls. Like here are the controls in front of you. And so that's, um, I mean, that was only possible because Sally and, and her husband, Eddie, who's like so involved in everything that we do, uh, both of them trusted me. And if we hadn't built that trust, yeah, I wouldn't have said, give me the, give me the reins of like your first big branded documentary in a while that's going on your channel. But like we built that trust. We had done a YouTube series of 12 episodes. We'd grown a channel from 4,000 to 24,000 subscribers. And it was like, okay, I'd proven, yeah, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah. Or at least like I know enough to, to be dangerous. Dude, didn't that, this, the one that <clears throat> performed better, didn't you edit that in like two weeks? Wasn't like a crazy fast turnaround? Yeah, that was uh, from the finish line to delivering that film was under four weeks. Um, and that was like included like a week of it was done, but we were just rolling out the, the marketing material alongside the brand. And so, yeah, I mean, that was, I just, I work really well fast. Like there's definitely a, an advantage to being fast. I think that I can churn out content, especially like, long form storytelling a little bit faster. Like a lot of people are used to a race film. It takes six months to, to come out. And I don't know necessarily if I can reach the standard of somebody who takes six months, if they had six months to focus on it. Yeah. Somebody else might be able to get there faster. Same with like, okay, if you sat down and you gave me and an experienced Hollywood DP, there are plenty of people who can outshoot me in a studio, all the lights that you need, you have a day to pre-light, you have uh, sit-ins and all that kind of stuff, and then you finally get to the actual shoot. There are plenty of people who can outdo that. But when you're climbing Mount Whitney, uh, when you're in the Swiss Alps, and you have to you have to run up and you have to run down with the, the biggest athletes in trail yeah. running, like that's... That's wild. <laughs> I, can, I can be fast and I can adapt on the fly. And like that's... I'm just leaning into, in this stage of my career, leaning into more of like, 
okay, this is really where I can make an impact because I did, I mean, I did the whole like shoot interviews thing. And like, I, I figured out pretty well how to make a good looking interview shot. I still know there are people who can outshoot me uh, with the right budget and that kind of thing. But yeah, at the, at this stage and, and editing too, right. That hit the right area where I could succeed yeah. is yeah. Three weeks was hard. And I, I lived that film. I just quit my job. Um, I was in the process of moving and things were kind of like going a little crazy all around me, but it was like, okay, I knew that was also interesting. I knew there was another film that was being edited and I was watching on Instagram that film being edited. Uh, not that there's not, it's all healthy competition. <laughs> it's all healthy competition. I don't really know the guys who made that film, but I was like this, we have to get this out a week earlier yeah. than we had originally planned because they, they dropped their release date. Dude. And so now that film also did really well. That film now has more views than my film, but we were... Can we talk about that film? Yeah. What was it? So there was another another athlete out there. Um, his name's Chad Wright. Uh, he's, oh. he's, pretty well, he's pretty well known in the endurance space. He has a great podcast. Like, super interesting guy. He and Sally actually have a lot of similarities um, in what they do. And so he also did the exact same race as Sally. Oh, that's um, right. And I knew that both of these films were being worked on at the same time. And a little part of me just wanted to say okay, we can, cause I didn't know, I didn't know this other team that well. I wasn't familiar with their work. I was like, okay, with, with a couple extra weeks, maybe they'll probably make it better. But if I can get to that 90% point in three weeks, like let's end it. Dude, that's crazy. It, if you like, if you had the like ideal amount of time to edit one of those films, it'd be like six months. You think? Uh, it's more about the ability to focus mm. on the film. Um, than it is the amount of time. Like, I don't think I think my ceiling on a, you know, a 40 minute, pretty condensed story, you know, it took place over the course of a week. Yeah. Like, I don't think more than six weeks is what I need, but those need to be focused six weeks. Oh, six weeks. Okay. okay. Yeah. Those, those, those need to be like six weeks of, I'm not going out and pitching new business, raising money for another film, going and shooting another film. If those are six focused weeks, that was a big thing. The only, the only way that I made too strong in eight weeks was that like, that was my life. Yeah. That was it. I would run. I would edit that film. And I had a great team around me at, at uh, the staff job that I was at that they picked up the slack for me being locked in the closet for basically eight weeks to, to make that film. Dang. What Do you know the view counts on those by chance? I'm really curious. Like the uh, the one that outperformed... Yeah, I think I think Chad Wright's is somewhere in the in the three hundred thousand ish range. Like, and Sally's film from Cogadona that I made is in the two hundred fifty thousand view range. Um, but they you did know, really well. Yeah, they both did really well. And I mean, this is this is just an odd sidetrack to get down because I don't want to make it like a competition. They probably were not even paying attention to my film, uh, which is totally fine. Like, I don't expect you to care about every single ultra film made from the same race that you're also making ultra film for. Like I'm, I'm just a little weird like that. I think that's just where my mind goes. Um, but we also, I can celebrate that I blew away the client's expectation because there was a brand behind that. There's a household name Camelback behind it and we blew away their expectations. And so like, I'm just regardless of the view count, I'm just stoked on that. That's sick. I think competition is healthy. Makes us better. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. There's a healthy, healthy level of competition. Um, Before, I want to definitely talk about all the running stuff, like how we got here, but let's just go back, sort of staying chronological, roughly. (laughs) Um, So after uh, college, so you had the internship during college, they offered you the job, you didn't take it? 
And then where, where did you go after college? Yeah, so we, I had talked with that production company, and then you know things changed. All the people who had been there when I was there left. Uh, it was entirely new, sl- and it just like it wasn't seeming like the right fit for me anymore. And the job offer wasn't really going to come together the way that I wanted it to come together. And so right after college, you know, I did the you know travel with friends, do a road trip, um, just stitch together a little freelance work here and there. And so I want to say it was around. So I graduated in May, and somewhere around end of July, August. I started looking for a full-time job. And what year is this? This would have been 2018. I okay. graduated in 2018. Okay. And so, yeah, end of that summer, I didn't, I didn't feel confident going to freelance. I think I could have at that point. But the two things that held me back were, one, I did not have the money to invest in the equipment that I knew was necessary. I had done the whole, like, starve and struggle and figure it out with a DSLR that doesn't really meet your expectations but i shot on these cinema cameras in college i shot on cinema cameras at this internship and i was like this is the standard That's i want to i want to get to it was hard to go back um and also i if i i didn't want to just be scrapping together weddings i didn't want to be scrapping together all this conferences yeah. and all this little stuff at that stage i was like i can always come back and and do that later but I want to go somewhere where I'm not going to be wasting time chasing down new business. Um, and I want to instead be making a lot of a lot of work because I know that's, I mean, my you know, hustle culture was big in that, in that time, that like 2017, 2018, Casey Daily yeah. vlogs, that kind of thing. I definitely went through a period my junior year of college where like I was living into that like never sleep and like I had like three jobs on campus and I was working um, basically another job for a, a club on campus planning events and that kind of stuff. And I was just all the time and I thought, uh, I was like, super unfulfilled by that, but I was making a lot of work. I was trying, I was failing, I was trying, I was succeeding, I was getting my name out there. And so I was like, okay, if I go to a full-time job, I'm not going to be tracking down new business. I'm not going to be wasting my time. So I can be super focused on shooting, editing, producing, like make it, put it out, make it, put it out. Um, And so that led me to, I don't remember how many jobs I applied to. I'm not super great at applying (laughs) to jobs because uh, my strategy has always been if they like my work, they'll hire me. Um, and I also do really well in, I do well in an interview. I will say that, um, that's, that's my one brag on myself, but like, I, like, I don't know how to sell myself other than like, if you like the work, let's work together. If you don't like the work, I I mean, I don't know what to do. Uh, (laughs) but I walked into a full-time job right out of college. Uh, you know, I think September 2018, I would have started that job. And it was a super unique opportunity because it was full-time salaried, it was with a nonprofit that had two other staff uh, videographers. I mean, there was a 20 person marketing department. Like this is a, I mean, they're not technically a large nonprofit, I don't think, but like it's a, it's a big mid-sized nonprofit. You know that like 40 to 50 million annual budget size nonprofit. And so like, it was an interesting place to go. I had been doing more of those nonprofit storytelling, like film with the purpose styled projects. Um, and so it was a good match for me. That was also a place like, I didn't know anybody. I didn't ask for recommendations or anything to get in there. I just sent in my resume at the time, which is pretty thin. Uh, I sent in a cover letter, which, oh, I should dig that up and read that sometime. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably really bad. Again, like I don't know how to, to write it, but like I sent in a portfolio. And I remember the two pieces that they pulled out. One was uh, one that I did with a friend that won a competition in college. And another was for another nonprofit that I worked at with this, uh, with this production company. And... That was enough to get them to say yes to, yeah, it was full-time. It was salaried. It was remote before remote was cool because it was 2018. That's um, 
which was, uh, yeah, pluses and minuses to that. And, you know, interestingly enough, it was mostly editing focused. They were looking for uh, just the way the team was built. There was a guy who was like, only shoot. And then there was another guy who like shot and edited and also produced, directed, and handled like the marketing side. And he was like, okay, I want to like produce and like handle working with the marketing team and we need an editor. So I walked into that position with editing and I was clear up front. I was like, hey, like I can shoot too. And they were like, sure, okay, awesome. We, we can always use extra hands. And then I remember very quickly, so I was, I was hired in uh, end of August, early September. I moved to Richmond, Virginia uh, soon after that. And then in December that year, we kicked off shooting my first short feature documentary. And at that point, I was like, it was no question that I was the director of photography for that organization just because of, of what I brought to the table. Nice. Damn, what kind of work <clears throat> were you doing with those guys? Yeah, so it's all sorts of different stuff. Like I will say like that first, my first full year there, first calendar year 2019, I edited 143 different videos. Oh my God. Um, and that's all across the board. So we made a 45 minute short feature documentary uh, that unfortunately was killed before it came out, but I put all the work into that. And you know, that was uh, 10 to 15 days of principal photography. That was 33 interviews. That was multiple states. Um, Crazy, crazy production schedule. Why they never release it? Um, was it like corporate? Kind you of know, stuff? that was that was my first introduction to you can make a good film and you can miss what somebody else wants. And Dang. when you're at the bottom, when you're at the bottom, when you're an individual contributor, uh, no matter how hard you want to sell it, the amount of time it would take to finish that film and the amount of time to re-edit it the way they want it are the same. Jeez. Uh, so, so, you know, that was, but yeah, like that was the big scale, right? 45 minute. And we did some 10 to 20 minute pieces. We did some, uh, we were actually, you know, so I worked in prisons a lot. Uh, it was a, a nonprofit that worked in criminal justice. And so we brought celebrities into prison. So I would cut some, some YouTube, very YouTube style content with that. We would do conferences. And then there was a ton of just micro content. Mm -hmm. This was when, I, th I think reels were just about to come out and Facebook video was still big and people, Facebook was really pushing video and a YouTube shorts was still a couple of years away. But yeah, everything from like 60 second Facebook ad to, I mean, every week I was doing a three to four minute storytelling piece. And then, yeah, there were some longer pieces, but man, that the fact that you can, and this is what's so interesting now in the social media world, so much stuff ends up on Instagram. There are tags, there's descriptions, there's all that kind of stuff. Like I made so much work in obscurity. Like I think my name is on four of those pieces that I made. And you know, that 143 videos a year only went up from there for the next uh, the next three years that I was at that job. I was That's there for crazy. almost four years. And my name was barely on any of it. Like I could show it. There, there was never a problem of like, oh, you wanna post frames on Instagram? Sure, whatever. Um, I didn't really use Instagram that much at that time, but like, uh, you wanna kinda of do your reel? Sure, whatever. When you say but, your name wasn't on it, do you mean like, you didn't have credit? Yeah, there was no credit. Mm. There was, if it was posted on Instagram, there was no credit, there was no tag. If it was on YouTube, it wasn't in the description. There was yeah. no credits at the end of the video. But what I will say, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I wish they credited me. I think there was an interesting discussion to be had there, but I got to make so much work in obscurity um, that like what I took on by not getting the credit was also like you just get to make these videos and if things go wrong or it doesn't meet the standard that's okay but yeah. I also took wins in like optimization I was building my own templates I was building my whole like back-end system to simplify every single step of pumping out these short videos and yeah were they amazing no but I got to develop those systems, which then I brought to my next job and those systems, which I still use to this day to like run and keep everything organized behind the scenes. And so I think there's something to be said for 
making content in obscurity, making content that you don't have to talk about and pretend to be excited about if you're not excited about. No, like you do it. And honestly, moving on fast too. Like we, we moved on so fast from projects. I mean, there would be, there'd be projects I'd work for, for weeks and weeks on, and then we post it and we get excited about it. We talk about it in the Monday morning meeting and then it's like, okay, Friday, another video comes out. And I'm sure you see that from a lot of people, maybe even people like in the, in the creator industry where it's like, we're moving on, we're doing weekly videos or we're doing daily videos. Uh, just that, like make a lot of work, make it in obscurity. Um, yeah, I wasn't really posting my work on Instagram. I wasn't really trying to be all that. I was just trying to figure it out and like get better at what I was doing at that stage. Dude, that's, that's a hard thing to do is like detach yourself from like video editing or photography or any form of art. Cause that's what shooting and editing is. It's art. It's like, you're putting your effort, your time and effort into something, your energy. And it's like your own creative spin on it. You're, you're creating it. Uh, and then when it gets put out into the world, it's like, it's a piece of you, I feel like. And so that can be hard if like somebody doesn't give you credit or somebody just takes your photo and posts it. I'm so bad about (laughs) tagging people like you for, uh, for like photo credit. Um, which is terrible because I used to get so butthurt when people wouldn't tag me, (laughs) but it's like, uh, it's just like a piece of you. So it's hard to detach from that. I feel like, and then it's like, you put up like the film where it doesn't even get released. You put all this work and energy into it. And then it's just like, it just sits there on a hard drive and never gets to be seen. It's gotta be really hard to deal with shit like that. Yeah. I mean, the film not getting released was a whole different, that was a whole different thing. Like I definitely, that one still hurts, especially because as I look back, you know, that was very much a moment in time. Um, in the state of Oklahoma where a lot of things were changing. And I remember the next year after we had, we had canned that film, seeing like some of the stuff that film was talking about as like, this is coming down the road. And I was like, Oh, this stuff is actually happening. Things Jeez. are changing. Um, and so that was really hard, but yeah, like it, it's definitely a challenge to put stuff out and for something like video and like being creative, that's just so core to who I am. Like, I just can't imagine a world where I'm not like, Right. shooting and editing, whether it's photo, video, whatever. I just can't imagine a world without that as part of me. But no, I think, I think that's the business side of my mind, uh, that, that marketing side, that analytical side, which says, okay, yeah, we didn't. Because now, um, and that's an interesting pivot, like I spent three years and 10 months making content for a nonprofit that now, I mean, I haven't scrubbed it from the internet intentionally, like I haven't deleted it, but like no one's looking at that to hire me now. Right. No one cares. Most people don't even know. Most people, like I sat down at dinner last night with a friend of mine who I have shot multiple races with, who I've gone on runs with. And I was saying, yeah, like I'm going on this podcast today. And I was like, yeah, I might bust out some prison stories. And he was like, what? I was like, dude, yeah. Like I've been to prisons all over the country. I've been on max security yards. I've been all uh, minimum security yards, county jails, all this kind of stuff. He's like, what? Like people now just like know me as the running guy. Like the was guy who shoots running. No, it wasn't Tyler. Tyler knows about Tyler knows about okay. that. Tyler, a good friend of mine. <laughs> um, he's, I, but I, I'm sure the first time, well, he was part of the, the whole hiring process That's when true, I was coming yeah. from my old job to, to where I worked with Tyler full time for a little while. And, uh, but yeah, like now my website looks entirely differently. Like I updated yeah. my reel a couple of weeks ago. And then Dude, the, I watched the, it last night. Oh, it's so good. Thank you. I hope you left a like, uh, that, that really helps me out. Like, and a subscribe. Thank you. Well, um, well it was on your website. Sorry. Well, regardless, I hope that you liked and subscribed. You know, it's very important for, you, for <laughs> Can the Can I do that time. on your website? <laughs> I'll build that functionality and you know, okay. I'll, talk, I'll talk to Squarespace okay. about that. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Squarespace, please stop 
spending money on ads. Um, anyway, love you, love you. But ugh, let's see another. They ad. sponsor everything. I've been paying for like besides this. I'm paying since junior year of high school. Can I just opt out of the ads? Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, like right, like that real. Like I just recut it, and the last stuff from my old job from like that, like from from prison, basically <laughs> the last stuff from prison got cut out of that, and. That for sure was a moment where I, I sat with that file when it was exported and I was like, wow, like this is, and, and it's not in a weird, like, I don't want anyone to know. Again, like I'm talking about it today because like that was so formative for me and some of the projects that I got to be a part of change, absolutely changed my life, changed my perspective. Being a, a skinny little privileged white kid coming out of an expensive university and traveling into prison somewhere that I had never been before working with people and working with stories that are so different from my own experience and doing that right out of college when I'm still like figuring out what life is. Um, I mean, man, and then starting to interview people who are younger than me and they're in prison and that kind of like, I mean, it just reshaped my entire perspective on life and like opened my eyes to so much of even working with people on the outside, you know, families who have somebody incarcerated, kids who have somebody incarcerated in their lives like that just because I'm not posting that work or I'm not actively looking for that work mm -hmm. now doesn't mean that, I mean, I'm just so grateful that, that film and especially nonfiction documentary film lets you just explore and lets you learn right. about things that you never, like if I had not taken that job, I would have no idea about what goes on behind those walls other than, you know, I wasn't shooting 60 days in kind of stuff where I don't know how much of that is real, where, you know, yeah. <laughs> all these, these fights and this stuff like that, like I wasn't exposed to a lot of that, like hardcore prison stuff. But in many ways, I think I got a truer look at like, just like the everyday and the people who are there and are trying to do the hardest thing in life, which is you have lived your entire life up to this point one way. And now, you know, the only way to like stop you from coming back here is to live in a totally different direction. Oh my um, gosh. And I've watched it succeed. And I, you know, I worked on a documentary where we watched somebody who we followed for two or three years and we watched it fail. We watched it all fall apart. Jeez. I remember getting that call of she's going back to prison. Oh my God. I remember sitting in that parking lot and like, that's, I mean, that's perspective right there. And that's like, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, that's also the risk, right, of documentary that you take is that you can go into something and it can all fall, it can all fall apart. And it's all real, obviously. And it's all real. Yeah. It's not just, it's different when you're making it than when you're watching it. Like, right. I, th I think for sure when you watch it, it's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe you connect, maybe you don't, depending on where you are on the empathy scale, you may, you may or may not. Um, like, I think that. You know, I've, I've definitely become more in touch like emotionally with myself, like just working through, I mean, there's only so many times you can sit and I got to work with a lot of great interviewers when I was just a camera operator. And then, you know, later on and in the past few years, like I've been that guy just like looking, interviewing, um, been less like behind Dang. the camera and you can only sit with somebody for so long who's just broken hearted and crying about their, their son or their daughter who's yeah. in prison. There's only so many times you can do that and not like, have to like reevaluate a lot of things emotionally in your own life dude that's got to be so emotional like um like what was like a well first off what were like the kind of themes of the documentaries was it like people were trying to get exonerated or like wrongfully accused like that kind of stuff or what was a lot of it about that's yeah that's a good point um no we weren't like in that innocence project kind of vein though um you know no people there like love that kind of work it was a lot of life change life improvement um 
working with families and that kind of thing on the outside and then also working on policy and working with lawmakers and that kind of thing examining the situation like are the people who are being sent to prison really like is the system helping them or is it hurting them those kind of those kind of questions were what we were exploring have you uh through all that have you formed like your opinion on the prison system because it's seems pretty broken from what i know yeah yeah for sure like they're definitely i've definitely seen shortcomings of the system especially on the re-entry side when people are coming out of prison Mm -hmm. um yeah but like it's definitely and i'm sure this is just part of getting older and maturing right like it's it's much more of a gray area like i remember driving past like the county detention center as a kid you know and being like those are the bad people yeah (laughs) those are the bad people and like right like that's a very natural like hey if they're behind barbed wire and walls uh they must be bad people but then like you sit in there you they invite you into their space they're open and vulnerable with you you shoot the basketball with them that kind of thing you hear their story and like i'm not saying that like every single person behind bars isn't isn't guilty in some way or that they haven't done something that that needs to be corrected but i'm also you know i i've seen a lot more of the gray area of yeah just like these are these are humans these are real people and if your worst day was on camera on a security camera, like, would uh, would everyone say that you were innocent of everything? I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, it, 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 it's right. a lot about asking questions. It's a lot about asking questions of yourself um, and your own experience, for sure. Dude, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I never thought about it that way. It's like, I mean, we all do illegal things every day, I think, <laughs> or things that could potentially. I mean, there's like a meme about that, I think, of like, the average person breaks like 17 laws a day without knowing it or something like that. But I'm like, I don't know. I've never thought about it that way. It definitely. I'm sure it makes you act in a more ethical, moral way. I feel like probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, or, or I guess I don't second, know if I could, I don't know if I could tangibly boil it down to like a way that I've changed in living my life. But like, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely been moments that I've considered either in my past or, or, or since those experiences where it's like, yeah, like I see a lot more of the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Things where it's like, yeah, if I was doing this over there or if I had stayed around longer there, you know, would I have gotten caught up in in the wrong place, wrong time? Um, Again, I don't want to I don't want to paint that experience like my experience from prison. Like, yeah, again, there are people who who are behind bars, who that's the place that 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 they need to be uh, for for whatever reason. But for sure, there are a lot of people who and like I've been I've gotten excited uh, when people who I've met in prison have gotten out and I get to celebrate two, three, four years down the line when they are doing well and they have a job yeah. and they're contributing to their family, they're contributing to society. And like, that's, that's most of what I focus on too, is like just being able to celebrate the, I mean, one of my coworkers, you know, spent 10 years in prison, uh, for a very high charge and, you know, getting to work with him was, it was pretty, it was pretty special to be like, you would never know. You would never know. So he's you a met- coworker. Then you got to. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. he was like, he was a coworker, a uh, coworker of mine. Um, Dang. yeah. And you would never know just daily conversation, that kind of thing. Just normal guy. Uh, but he did time and, but it worked for him, right? Like Dang. it worked. Like, I think he would agree that maybe he needed to, to learn, to learn some things. Uh, but it worked and yeah. That's another thing for sure my eyes were open to is just like how many people around us have criminal records or have right. have been just as involved as the term goes, you know. There's a lot more people with those kind of backgrounds and a lot more barriers that are up for those people than there are for people like me who right. I don't have that. Interesting. Yeah, that's got to be hard, like, especially with somebody you know. Like 
my gosh. Yeah, that's um, that's wild. What are like some of the the stories you remember? Like, are there are there, are there any like very memorable moments from either funny or just you know sad, emotional of any kind? That's like, oh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Because I feel like that's, I mean, that's a very unique position to be in. Yeah. And again, like there's no like 60 days in, like I don't have crazy, as I think about it, it's like, I don't have crazy personal stories. Like, yes, I remember a time where they locked down a unit right next to where we were. And I remember seeing the COs, the correctional officers running through the halls with their hands on. I mean, it's not guns, it's less lethal stuff, but the less lethal's out. And I remember being like, hey, like maybe we should go into this room for a little while because we're closing. It was in a county jail. Like it was a, it was a rough place. Um, I mean, I remember being on a yard at the height of the pandemic and we had cameras and, you know, we were shooting like a completely unrelated project. And I remember guys yelling to us from across the yard about, Hey, there are people in here who are sick. There are people in here who are dying. You need to help us. Oh gosh. And, you know, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to get into, into the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, but like that prisons and jails is like where you're locked up and you have no choice of where you're going to go. You have no choice of who you're around that was a, it was a really intense time to be in there. And I, I remember that, um, one, one funny story I will share is I remember that first big project we shot in Oklahoma. Um, we were on a maximum security yard and again, like the guys who we were working with, uh, this was specifically was in a men's prison were, I mean, they're focused on life change, life improvement, that kind of thing. And we were shooting an interview, uh, with one guy and you know, they let us into the cells for this one, like actually where they sleep and everything, which is not all prisons let you do that. And so we were in there and I was setting up shooting, like getting audio ready and everything. I was like, oh, like it's kind of noisy. Like you can hear everything out there. Like I'll just like close the door, you know, whatever. Um, just because that's in like my, my film brain of like, oh, we need to, we need to get better sound. And so like we close it and like, I'm not stupid. Like I know we're in a cell. So I'm like, oh, like, you know, it should just be able to rest closed. Right. Like, no, they're going to design a prison door to lock when it closes. And so by the end of the interview, we discovered we are locked inside this cell with this guy. Oh, God. And <laughs> on the one hand, again, we're working with guys who like, and um, I don't know what they would gain by, you know, doing anything out of the ordinary, super nice guy. But then, right, like I go back and, you know, I had this, I had this thing of like, I wouldn't read rap sheets. You never ask somebody in prison what they did. You know, that's a big, big thing you don't mm. do just out of respect, generally, right. like you just don't want to get into that. But, you know, I remember looking up his rap sheet and he's in there for a triple murder. And I was locked in the cell with him. And oh like, my gosh. that was for, I mean, how old was I? I? I was 21 at the time for like a 21 year old, again, like 21 year old, skinny, privileged white kid with locked a nice, in a cell. Fancy camera. And then, like, with a, yeah, with like all, with like stuff. And, you know, my coworker, writer, super talented writer who I worked with a lot, but like, she's like not a big person herself, you know? <laughs> but anyway, like, like, that was just a moment where I remember sitting there afterwards and being like, oh, like that's kind of that is just kind of a wild experience yeah. that I would never have imagined a situation I'd be in. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of a lighter tone one. How long were you in there for? I mean, the interview was like forty five minutes. And then how long after? I mean, the door was locked the whole time. What about after the interview? Where- I think I think we were able to get out pretty quickly okay. once we once we okay. realized but like yeah like when you lock it in like do you like bang on the door to get them to open it or yeah. is like is that a signal for like something's going wrong like i don't know <laughs> um, that's so crazy prison is a, it's a whole other world that i feel like we don't even think about and it's yeah. just there's all these like politics and like obviously gangs and like all this crazy stuff involved and then like the project it, 
the Innocence Project, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Like, that whole thing is, that's that shit's so sad. Yeah. Um, damn, what a crazy experience. You did that for three and a half years? Yeah, yeah, almost four years. Do you miss it ever? No. I, I think at first I did because, you know, one of the perks was I traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I traveled all the time. Actually, that's why like, you're a freaking is it American Airlines. Like, yeah. So like I had, I, had a, I had American Airlines high status for a while. Um, I stayed over 100 nights in, in Marriott hotels specifically one year that I was working there. Like I was, you know, some people say like, oh, I travel all the time. Um, there was a period that a two year period where it was like, I travel all the time. I fly two to three times a month because there was nothing local to me. Everything was flying. Um, you know, for a while I was based out of regional airports. So that meant you know, just get to LA or, or whatever. Like that's, that's at least four flights total round trip. Um, and so like, yeah, like I miss the status a little bit sometimes. I mean, it wasn't glamorous travel though. Like we're flying to Oklahoma city. We're flying to Lincoln, Nebraska. We're staying in the same chain hotels. We're booking one of the two rental car agencies that you can book, uh, because that's what our corporate policy is. And you're flying, at least, I mean, we flew, we flew the big real airlines. Like I've definitely become pretentious about my airlines and stuff, but like at a certain point, yeah. I mean, it's cool. It was really cool to be 22, 23 flying first class all the time across the country, but like it does get old. It does get a little bit old. And so that was part of, for sure. Part of my move to Austin was like, all right, let's take a step back from that for a little bit because I wasn't, I was unhealthy. I was eating out of gas stations or the hotel, you know, whatever they have in the fridge there. And it wasn't, interestingly enough, I, so I was traveling all the time. I wasn't super healthy. Like I would go to the gym once or twice a week at a Planet Fitness membership when I was home. But basically I was just surviving on like, my job's pretty physical. Like I'm walking around a lot. I'm up on, I'm on my feet all day, that kind of thing. Um, and then travel went away because the pandemic hit. I remember the day that I, I canceled a trip because uh, we had just come off of a shoot with the Cleveland Cavaliers. We brought them into a prison in Cleveland, um, which was super cool. And then I remember getting the call a couple of days later of like, hey, uh, the Cavs were exposed, you know, when, when the oh, NBA geez. was like shutting down, like yeah. that whole thing. And I was like, yeah, like we're probably not going to travel for a bit. So that turned into a month and then it was like turned into two months. And I remember gaining 10 or 15 pounds. Like I'm not a bit, I, you know, I'm not saying my wake up moment was like crazy. Like I was about <laughs> to like die of heart disease or anything because I'm still like only like, you know, 23, 24. Right. And I mean, to gain it that, that fast. That, but yeah, like not, in a couple yeah. of months because no gym. Yeah. And the only thing sustaining my like ability to not gain weight was like, basically I was either sleep deprived or I was on my feet all day. <laughs> um, that's and that's where I found running. That's where I found running. And that was, that's one of the greatest gifts that that job ever gave to me. Um, actually was the in-between time where travel was just shut down. Um, now we only had three months off and then we were flying through the height of a lot of stuff. I was traveling all over the place through empty airports, empty planes, that kind of stuff. And that was wild. But um, running stuck. And I started running and I would use that as a way to explore these cities mm-hmm. and these towns and these places that I was going. Even if they weren't the most glamorous place, it was like, okay, cool. Like Every place has got a park. Yeah. You know, some kind of park and I can go run the park or a lot of these, these towns have a river and there's a river trail, you know? And so running became the way to, to explore, to see the new cities. And it also just became the perfect antidote to like, I'm staying inside my house or editing or I'm like traveling, mm-hmm. but our shoots are so much more locked down now. Um, they're so much more complicated. And so like running was that like perfect balance, the perfect way to balance all of that out. Dude, that's so cool. That's like 
honestly one of my favorite parts about traveling now that i've gotten into running is like going for a run in a new city mm. it's like i don't know what it is or something about it it's just you're like exploring you're seeing new things uh and you're all you're on your feet so it's like has that gratifying feeling at the same time um side question did you ever go to any of the prisons or anything in wyoming you said nebraska and i was like oh i didn't realize you no, went that far I west did, no we never went to wyoming mm. i don't know if that was i mean the nonprofit was active in most states i don't know if wyoming was just hard to work with with cameras probably because there, some, there were some states where it was just like yeah. i mean california was super hard to work with you know mm. i mean different different states have different yeah. forms of corrections and they all have their different rules and then another question i was curious about um you said you guys brought in like celebrities and stuff like the calves who were like some of the yeah the I mean, notable but, people um i'm curious about that the most oh, that's a weird pause cut out the weird pause <laughs> so the most notable would probably be uh actually this was i worked on the back end of this one the shoot had already happened when it's a hired uh grayson boucher also known as the professor uh street ball uh, famous streetball guy from the M1 days. Uh, he's a YouTuber, oh. Instagrammer. Uh, that video ended up doing 50 million views, so it's oh, been dang. seen by a lot of people. Um, that was probably the most notable. And then there were I'm other, sure mostly most of the others were like music acts, that kind oh, of okay. thing, of varying. None of them were, were a huge deal, but like they were big enough that, you know, they were on tours yeah. and we would, we would bring them in. That's but cool. yeah, the Cavs for sure was a, was a big one. Yeah. Dude, it's always weird like meeting famous people. It's like, we saw... Um, ludicrous on the beach in Kauai like two weeks ago <laughs> and he was just like with his family like i really wanted to be like luda <laughs> but it's, i was like no it's his family just leave him alone but i was like it's weird because like meeting famous people is so odd because they're like you see them on a screen or whatever and they don't feel real but especially when i i yeah. think what's fun about video and film though is that like it's different when you have a job to do because yeah. all the people you know famous right. of varying degrees who i've met through through film and through video like they respect that you have a job to do and you know, they'll, they'll yeah. just treat you like, Oh, okay. We're working together on this thing. Like, let's get it done. Let's get this accomplished. You know, like yeah. I sat down and did an interview with, um, Oh, I'm going to blank on his name, but one of the hosts of American Ninja warrior for a project and super just personable guy. And like, he kind of got that. We only had 10 minutes to do this interview. Mm -hmm. And I was like, handshake, mic him up, get it done, chat a little bit after. And, you know, I've, I've just had those opportunities. And so it's cool to like, yeah, yeah like the on the beach, it's like, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. Um, but yeah. Um, and th the other thing I will say it's fun about running, too, is that people are just so personable oh, yeah. in running. Like I got a chance to to meet Courtney DeWalter at UTMB this year. Yeah. Um, and we got to not just like weird on the street. Like we, we hung out and chatted. You know, Sally is a, a good friend of Courtney's. And I was hanging with Sally and, and Courtney before press conference. And we just got to it's just like a we're all just hanging out and That's we so all cool. love running. We all love being outdoors and you know, we're all just living life, living life and, and hanging out and especially, yeah, especially right. in running. I think yeah. it is like something about like chasing, uh, you know, you're chasing this dream of like doing what gets you excited. And like for me, yes, running is, but I'm not going to be a professional athlete, but like I'm chasing after this like running media thing. And like when there's a bunch of people in the same room who are all chasing after their big goals, that's just, right. that's just a, a fun way to connect. And yeah, you realize that for the most part, I mean, I've never had a, well, that's not true. I have had some <laughs> encounters where it's like, ah, the person seems like they're a little too good to be here. But, you know, for the most part, they're just, they're just ready yeah. to. And, and the, yeah, so many people, they just respect that, like, if we all have a job to do, let's, let's work right. together and get it done. Yeah, I mean, you literally work with, like, I would call it Sally, like, a, at least in the world of running, like, celebrity 
famous person. Like, yeah, I, I mean, you can't, like, when we were at Leadville this year, I mean, I wasn't f- filming her this year. I filmed her last year at the Leadville 100, but you can't go anywhere oh, yeah. in the town with her and expect to get anywhere on time because people stop her, especially in ultra running. She's just, like, such a great ambassador for right. the sport, and people know her. Um, she's been around the sport for 10 years. She's just kind of like, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, she hasn't, like, transcended. It's not like an Elliot Kipchoge kind of, like, transcendent. Um, He's got to be one of the few runners that's, like, kind of becoming a household name now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know, if it, maybe, like, Prefontaine, maybe, but even he's a little bit more, uh, or more or less well-known, I guess. But there's not that many runners because it's such a, like, niche sport. Yeah, it is really a niche sport, um, for sure. But then, I mean, you have people like Courtney DeWalter, who, you know, right. she's she's, she's starting to cross over. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, I mean, press, like, being on the Joe Rogan podcast and that kind of thing, like, right. really launches you into more mainstream, more people who are just, like, interested in interesting people and not just interested in this niche sport of, of running on trails and running in mountains. So where did we go after prison job? So where do we non- go after prison? A nonprofit. Where do we let go after you out? That? Yeah, so I got to a point. Um, this would have been 2022, early 2022. I was so burned out of my job. I was still producing at the high, at like this high output. Uh, we weren't really getting a lot of help. Um, I was starting to, I was no longer the limitation on the team. And that was really frustrating for me. Like I can work on a team where it's like, I need to work harder and improve mm-hmm. myself. But when it becomes like, th- there are other things that are holding me back. And also like I was getting exhausted of going to show up to prisons, all my gear ready to rock and roll. And they would just throw restrictions on you that you can't do anything about. You can't film. I would show up to an event. I would fly across the country. I would skip family events. um, And they would show up and say, Hey, yeah, you can't film any faces. You can't show any, uh, you can't show any fences. You can't show any towers, guards. So I'm like, okay, so I can film the person who's speaking to the crowd and that's it. Like we brought Miss America into a prison um, at the at the time, Miss America, and we got in there and it was like, yeah, you can't show any faces. And I just got tired of. And then I go back to my boss and it's like, wait, why? Why does the footage look this way? Can we see the? And I'm like, no, sorry. Like, whether it's my fault or whether the prison just changed the rule, or yeah. it, it was almost never my fault. It was like a, either somebody miscommunicated or the prison changed the rules. And it's like, and so I, I got, I was getting tired of that. I was getting burned out. The travel was was really upending my life. It was getting in the way of, I mean, I was caring, I was trying to care about running and trying to get better. And like some days it was just like, we were flying and going crazy. And like, I couldn't train in any sort of a consistent manner. Um, And so at that point, and also like running was becoming more important to me. I was a fan first, for sure. Like before I even shot anything related to running. Um, And I was applying to jobs that were in sports and athletic Mm. performance related to filmmaking and content and i was just trying to figure out like how do i pitch myself i'd never shot running this is 2022 for context you know february march april and never shot running never shot sports like i shot like kids sports camps which is like not this is not high octane adventure (laughs) sports at all and so like youth soccer that kind of deal yeah yeah exactly like that kind of (laughs) stuff where it's just like uh i mean there was one documentary project where i remember and this was before i got into running where there was like a running scene and like i couldn't Mm. keep up because i wasn't in shape at the time um but anyway oh man i wish i could reshoot that project i kill that one right now (laughs) anyway uh you know i'm not good at leveraging connections i'm not good at like networking and that kind of stuff and so i sent a dm to the media director of bear performance nutrition jordan utter uh great guy uh, but like he didn't know me. I didn't know anybody who worked there. 
and he like he didn't follow me back on Instagram. Like I just saw he posted like we're hiring a mm-hmm. creative. Like it was a very like generic <laughs> like creative. And I was like, oh, I'm creative. I like the work. I I had seen BPN's work. I knew some of the documentaries they had done. I was like, okay, this is cool. Like this is sports. This is running, but it's also documentary and storytelling. I'm like, okay, documentary and storytelling. I have that locked down. Maybe I can convince them that like, if you give me a shot, I can figure out the whole like running part. Like I can figure that out, but I have what I think I genuinely do think it's a more complicated part. It's the documentary is the storytelling for sure. And also working really well within a system, a team. I have all those things down. I can figure out the running. And so that was kind of my, I don't want to say that was my, well, that was kind of my last ditch effort to, before I was like, just going to like quit my other job Mm -hmm. and just like, because I was at that point, I was just, I was just over it. We were just doing the same thing. There are all these limitations. I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll either get this job at BPN or I'll quit my other job and I'll figure it out. Um, and you know, things came together. It made sense for me to come to BPN. I had to move pretty quickly. Um, I've moved a bunch. Like I've, I've lived in Virginia. I've lived in a couple different places in Pennsylvania. I've lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And so moving to Austin, um, you know, a little North round rock here that was not like crazy for me on three week notice. I could pack up the car, I could drive, yeah. I could figure it out. Yeah, and so I I moved. And like for sure, you know, some of the things that appealed to me, like definitely were the subject matter. It was also like, it seemed like I could take a step back from traveling. Mm-hmm. I was ready to commit to moving here for, for two years because I was like, I'm tired of, I feel like I was moving every every nine to 12 months. Right. It's a new place, like never setting down roots, never developing community. And I was like, okay, we'll take a step back from the travel. I'll take this on like, for me, it was like a prove it deal. I don't know if it was for them. um, But for me, it was like a prove it deal of like, you know, you can do the one half, you can do the documentary, you can do the storytelling, you can do the system, you can do the work fast. We got to figure out running, we got to figure out, there was also other stuff, you know, shooting CrossFit, shooting weightlifting, all that other stuff. I was like, okay, I just need a shot. I can figure it out. How did it pan out? Yeah, I mean, it worked. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't want to say like I came in, I was the best ever. Like there were growing pains and I got to, you know, they set me up really well at BPN to be behind the scenes a little bit, like assisting, like B camera. I was already right into editing because you can, I can edit whatever. Like it's not right. hard to edit whatever I've, I've edited every possible subject material ever, <laughs> honestly, at this point, like, uh, but yeah, I was able to be behind the scenes a little bit ease into it and then uh kind of across the desk came this project with sally mcrae um ultra runner bpn athlete nike athlete veteran of the space she had a project she was doing where she was going to be doing five races in 81 days running a lot of miles all over the country and that project came to bpn bpn was interested uh, Tyler McCain, good friend of mine that at the time, coworker, he'd been there for a little while longer. So, you know, senior coworker of mine, uh, got given that. And then I think it was 10 days before the first race. I never, it might've been less, might've been uh, a week before that first race with Sally. It was kind of like, okay, like it's you and Tyler. Like I was going with him and 
I was like, like I knew who Sally was. I had followed her. Like I had watched the films that she had been making over the year with um, the years with her, her good friend, Billy Yang, who's like, Billy is an, an icon yeah. in he's iconic. And like, Oh dude, it was such a full circle experience at Tahoe 200 <laughs> yeah. this year. Like I'm finishing up that film that we shot with Sally and like Billy's in the credits because he was pacing her. He flew the drone and like gave me drone footage oh, and so he like gave, go for, and it was like such a full circle moment to be like, dude, like I've watched every single one of your films. Like you were the guy who like, like that was my introduction. Yeah. Ultra running was his films. Anyway, but yeah, yeah he's so. like the the OG of of trail films and trail documentaries. I feel like yeah, oh for sure, yeah. And I mean, he's been at this for yeah. at least ten years. It might be more than ten years. Like he has just been working and working. And yeah, I mean, he's an, he's iconic in the space. But yeah, so I had this opportunity to to work with Tyler, especially to work with Tyler on this. I mean, it wasn't just like I was going in on my own. I was like, okay, I've never really shot running on my own like i've been on sh shoots where there's been running like i've been like a b camera operator you know like getting or like specialty camera or like flying a drone was like whatever but like this is like okay we we came on board with four races to go it's like okay like this is going to be the next couple months it's like okay we're, we're going to edit a documentary it's like okay we're going to do same day edit video from these races um and it was straight into the fire and I mean, truly, so that project, Sally called it the uh, the Choose Strong Project. That was her name for it, and Choose Strong became the name of the film. Um, and that is, like, I'm not one of those people who goes back and, like, watches their old work in either way, like, either to, like, make fun of it or, like, to just, like, relive the glory. Like, generally, it's, like, there are a few projects that, like, every six to eight months... I'll browse on by. Or like if I'm with my friends from high school, dude, we've sat down and watched our films from high school. Like we'll, we'll just have a good time. Enjoy. <laughs> dude, that's it. one of my favorite things. Oh, ever. it's so much fun. It's so much fun. But like there is, and this is going to be weird and this is going to be vulnerable. This is a podcast exclusive is that I watch Too Strong once every couple of weeks. Really? And I have unintentionally sat down and watched the whole thing through because I genuinely think that was the project that my entire life up to that point had led up to. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so cool to look back at that experience yeah. and the intensity of that experience. I mean, we took it on. I found out in August and we delivered the film in December. Jeez, that's wild. Um, Dude, it's so good. You guys did such a good job. Yeah, it's and like, it's actually, it's, it's been a year since, I think it's a year today or maybe a year tomorrow since we wrapped shooting um, at the summit of Mount Whitney. Um, well, I guess we wrapped at the bottom, but you know, we, we, Tyler summited Mount Whitney. I summited Mount Whitney along with Sally who did it twice. Um, yeah. And like genuinely that film, like, do I think it's the most like singular transcendent piece of work made in the running space? No. But when I watch it from my perspective and I, I can see all, all the years of like developing documentary, developing storytelling, I see me finding running in that story. I see like, I mean, Sally's, Sally's story of her, her mom and her childhood and everything is just like so unbelievably tumultuous and heartbreaking. Yeah. But like I also came to grips with um, so many things that I went through in my childhood that I've been trying to figure out uh, since then. And like even wow. I had, and I've shared this on Sally's podcast, and I'll share it here too. I had the worst panic attack of my life uh, before climbing Mount Whitney. Really? Um, I've always been an anxious person. I've had that, I've struggled with that. Like I know it's a, it's come out in different ways in my family, for sure. I'm not the only one who struggles with it, but I had the worst panic attack of my life. I was, and that left me, I mean, the funny part of the story that I tell is that like, oh, I did Mount Whitney on like half a gel and a bunch of pretzels and like just some water. But that was because like I was physically unable to eat because 
I was so gripped by this fear of, I knew that this whole film like, like hung on. Can you follow Sally up this mountain? Can you get the shot? Can you go over? I had never been over 12,000 feet in my life. Can you go to 14,500 feet? Still film. Can you finish this project that you have been working on for all these weeks? And I think that in that moment, and like we were sleep deprived. I was like losing my mind. I was stressed. I stress so bad on these ultra. Like I'm, I just always like, I, I can't sleep. I'm like, are we going to miss her or something like that? But like all of that built up to like, I experienced the worst panic attack of my life. Um, I remember sitting in a, in a motel parking lot, like dizzy, sweating, dry heaving, like unable to see straight. Oh my gosh. And Sally was in the motel room. And then I remember like standing up and being like, something's really wrong. Okay. We have to keep shooting. It was, it was unbelievable. But like, I see all of that when I go back and rewatch it. That's I'm like, this truly was, and I don't, I hope it's not like the biggest project ever make the pro the one project. Maybe it'll be the one project I remember for it. I don't know. Um, I'm not concerned with that right now. What I know right now is that like, man, that was just such a, that was such a milestone. And that project ended up being kind of the launch pad to where I'm at now a year later yeah. for sure. Dude, I had no idea about that. I knew you told me about like, oh, I, I did Mount Whitney with like, you know, half a gel or whatever it was, but I didn't know it was because of that. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, but it was also, I mean, the redeeming part of that too, which I will say is that like I got to the bottom of Mount Whitney and I remember, well, I think it was the day after because like we kind of had to like, we just like, both Tyler and I were just spent at the end of that. I think it was the day after and I remember looking back at like the photo of me at the summit and I remember crying and being like, that was the hardest thing I've done in my life. And like- <sighs> I have now figured out that I can do that. So like, what else can I do? And that was just one of the, one of the coolest realizations, like one of those self-actualization kind of moments where it's like, man, like I've really explored the hardest thing to this point. Okay. So we can probably, we can probably keep going. Like Dude. there's so much more to do. <laughs> That's so cool, man. And I think one of the craziest parts about like what you do is that like, especially if you compare it to like the prison stuff is like prison or any other like regular documentary typically you just show up you have your camera pull up in a car you film you leave but like ultra running <laughs> like you have to hike up a freaking mountain up mount whitney to fourteen thousand feet like not only like sally's doing it and that's great and hard but you're also doing it at the same time carrying a camera like it, you're basically doing what a lot of these like athletes are doing, but you're like nobody. You don't get any recognition for it because you're behind the camera and you're carrying a camera. It's like I don't know. I think I think it's a lot. And then it's it's like one of the coolest art forms I feel like too because you're you know you put in this like crazy physical effort to capture the footage. And that's only half of it. Then you got to go back and edit it and piece it all together. It's like there's just so much that goes into it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the things, and I mean. The athletes that I get to work with are so far beyond, you know, my capacity at their height. Like Sally did it twice. Like, I don't think I was going up Mount Whitney two times. Like, there's a good thing that Tyler did one. I did the other. But I think that there is this, this level of respect that you get to when you're filming these athletes when they're like, when you're in it with them. Yeah. And you're, they see that you are also working hard. That you're not just like meeting them at the aid station and you film them as they sit in a chair and then you get a drone shot as they leave. And like, just kind of applying like... Yeah, that whole like show up, set the camera, and then you go to the next one and you're you're sitting on the tailgate like drinking a beer. Oh, I guess they're gonna be in here. Like, no, like I think that there is a level of 
respect that's developed for again and i don't want to compare myself to like these professional athletes like me chasing jim walmsley at utmb this year for a half a mile three quarters of a mile is nowhere is nothing compared to the effort that he's putting out um then there's so many cameras around him i doubt he has an idea who i am which is fine jim let's be friends (laughs) you're awesome um he's a savage dude oh my gosh so so i mean so inspiring to to watch these people at the top of their game right like just pushing through but yeah like there there is a different connection level when it's like okay right we're we're in this together or even like you know i'll, I'll do little shoots with with athletes and it's like they're just doing a track workout and i'm just getting clips while they do their workout we're not even doing anything too contrived and it's like some of them kind of get when i have my cinema camera my fx6 and i'm running behind them on a rep and you know Okay, yeah. I mean, if it was a, if it was Usain Bolt, I'm not keeping up. But like somebody who's doing like 520 pace repeats, right. like I can keep up for 100, 200 meters with a big camera. And like, I think there is just that different level of connection that's right. from that rather than like, oh, I'm on an e-bike or oh, like you know these different ways. Like, not that there's anything wrong with as long as you're getting the shot, you're getting the shot. Right. But especially when I'm trying to build these these long-term relationships and when I'm trying to lean into like what is the one thing that I can do that makes me different. Again, it comes back to like yeah put me in a put me in a studio there are a lot of people who can outshoot me like again not to not to come back to the e-bike thing but like yeah like <laughs> like there are plenty of people who like can e-bike with a phone gimbal better than i can right. probably they can probably get the shot faster than i can that way but like what is it that i can lean into that only i can that only right. i can do or only a small group of people i also don't want to say that like i'm the only person like tyler mccain who i work with is an incredible athlete like there's yeah. a reason he did whitney first uh, when Sally was fresher yeah. like, and that's because he's, he's so strong. Um, and there are also like a UTMB this year. I met some incredible filmmakers who were like out there just crushing it in the Alps. And that's so rad. Um, it's very flat here in Texas compared yeah. to the Alps. I need, I, I need to get my mountain legs, but you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just fun to lean into that yeah. as that's much so as I cool. can. Well, I think one of the coolest parts about running media and like running storytelling too, <clears throat> is like running, I think provides like a, kind of a blank canvas and then it's like that's where you lay in the storytelling like you can be so creative with it compared to other things it's like a lot of other i don't know a good example like i don't know weightlifting or something where it's like you're kind of focused more on like what they're doing but with running it's just like you can't just show somebody running for 45 minutes like it's so boring it's the same thing over and over and over again uh but it's like how do you bring that to life and like tell the story and that's what you guys do so well it's like it's like too strong and like even the Cocodona where it's like you call it like a, a race recap essentially but it's like there's still a story to it it's like you're not just showing her running for 45 minutes it's like there's so much else involved with it and um i don't know it's cool and I, I still i'm so surprised that you were so into like the fiction stuff and now all you do is non-fiction like documentaries essentially do you think you ever want to go back to like doing non-fiction and writing that stuff and shooting that or you don't want to stick with non-fiction stuff like documentary style you know just like i think when i found running running for lack of a better way to put it scratched an itch for me the gym never did like lifting yeah well all that stuff like that never really did like cycling has never really scratched that itch for me like i don't get like i get bored doing that but like running scratched that itch i think for me right now like I, I've thought about that. I think about that all the time. Like narrative stuff. Like I have friends who are in the narrative world, and I see the stuff they're doing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I just don't. For me, right now, like that's not. I don't think that would scratch the itch that I have uh, for 
working with athletes, filming endurance sports. It's not just running. I'm trying to like not also just do running yet. Like I've, I filmed gravel cycling this year and that was like, that was a totally different yeah. experience. That was rad. Um, I'd love to give that a shot. Maybe that would work for me for cycling. Maybe that would keep me more occupied. <laughs> I just get bored on the bike anyway. Um, but yeah, like that maybe someday we would yeah. explore the narrative. Like, of, of course I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I would love to, yeah, like shooting a feature would be fun because a feature, a feature film, I think has that same, like a lot of these shoots are, are trending more towards expeditions. What I do, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I've been doing a lot of them this year, but it's like, I mean, when we went and filmed, uh, Tyler and I, we shot a project in Vermont with Adidas Terex and we were out there for 10 days. I think we were living out of a van for eight of them. Like we're not showering. We're not doing anything like they're, and they're not like. I mean, Jimmy Chin is an icon too, and right. somebody who I look up to a lot for sure. And like, I'm not quite on that like Everest level of like you are really just like tense backpacks for weeks and weeks. But like, it's starting to get there. It's getting away from. It's definitely not a studio. A hundred miler seems fast compared to some of these yeah. two hundred yeah. plus, almost three hundred mile efforts. And I think that a feature film might end up like intersecting with that someday, like that long, prolonged focus. Yeah working in a team, working with a crew, you're all just focused on this goal. And like it, those can be weeks and weeks. Granted, most of them, you're not living out of a van. If you're shooting a feature, you know, you probably have some creature comforts, right. which would be nice. That'd be so sick. How, how do you define feature film? I mean, like feature film is those like 90 to, I don't know. The Academy probably has it like locked in, but like those, right. like it, it's a longer narrative film, but yeah, I would say like 90 minutes plus, okay. you know, something that's going to take four to four plus weeks like one of those uh like teton gravity research kind of films or like the north Face. i'm thinking films. more like narrative too yeah i mean like the north face films like those yeah. are amazing like i would love to work on something like that but i'm thinking about like when i was a kid like lord of the rings i love the movies i also love the behind the scenes like i watched oh, those behind yeah. the scenes and they were shooting for months and months yeah and i was just like wow that's cool to be a part of a team and a crew that you just like are so locked in right and you're focused I think that was one of the things too that eventually like kind of took me away from staff jobs was I was like, it always felt like the focus was drifting. You just have so many deliverables. It's like one thing here, one thing there. Whereas like now, I mean, yeah, I, I probably have too many different little projects going on at once to like really devote singular focus to any one of them. But I get to be a little more selective. I get to be a little more, yeah. I mean, when I made that film at Cocodona, like, yeah, like three or four weeks after, I didn't really take on a whole lot of other work. And that was because I knew that I needed to focus. And so I I love that. I think that's when a project is its best, is when you are focused on it and when you're really just like locked in on this is is the thing. We work on it. We accomplish it. We get to the goal. Um, Yeah. And so that for sure with like a narrative feature film is definitely appealing. Like that whole like we're just locked in and focused and living it every day. That'd be so sick. Has there ever been like a feature film on running or trail running? Like, I mean, I'm sure there is out there, but, like, I feel like there's so much potential for, uh, like, uh, what is the free solo with Alex Honnold? Like, that style of film where it's, like, you know, super high budget, all these cameras, all this crew, all this stuff, but it's, like, for trail running. Has there ever been anything like that? In fiction or nonfiction? You're thinking nonfiction. I'm thinking nonfiction. Nonfiction. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the budgets really aren't there. Uh, to be honest, for most of that, but not, yeah, not really. I mean, there hasn't been like a, I even think like a 14 peaks, 14 oh, peaks. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. There hasn't really been something to that scale to hit the mainstream, like the most mainstream. 
I mean, again, hey, this is where my weak knowledge of film. Maybe I'm uh, missing something. But, like, I think about, like, the most mainstream thing that hit was uh, was the race that he's young. The, the Barkley, The race that he's young, the Barkley Marathon doc that went oh. on Netflix. Um, I actually haven't seen that one. Yeah, so it's now free on YouTube. You can watch it. Okay. Um, it's, I've seen the Gary Robbins one. Yeah, which I think is a better... I think that's a better film, okay. honestly, uh, especially if you go in not knowing the ending, um, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So that's also cool. Like running just has so much just media that's like on YouTube, right. that's on Vimeo, that's on yeah. a brand's platform. Um, I feel and like it's really getting cool. there. Do you think it's getting there? Like, do you think at some point there'd be like a Netflix documentary? I guess there was, but like a mainstream one, or maybe it goes into like theaters or something like Free Solo did with like rock climbing. Do you think there could ever be something like that with trail oh, running? Oh, abso- absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Trail running's coming more into the, I mean, running is just so in, right? Yeah. Like even what you do, I don't think would be possible five years ago. Like Definitely. to be like, <laughs> just like I'm a running content creator. Um, yeah. I mean, we saw somebody like Ryan Trahan try that years ago and like, it kind of worked, but then he figured out other ways to like actually make being a content creator work. But right. like now, if he now maybe there would have been an opportunity for him to just do running, and running is just like so in. I right. think that out of the past few years, a focus on health, a focus on uh, you know even just people shifting to remote work has made running more popular right. and more accepted. It's not just like weird. Like I think back to high school, I was like, well, the kids on the track team are weird. They're wearing their yeah. short shorts <laughs> and they run around in a circle for fun. They're also skinny. Like, and they're also yeah they're all just like so skinny i mean granted i was super skinny at that time too but i'm like dude you're wearing two inch shorts that's weird yeah now there are there are instagram reels that jeremy miller has posted of me wearing shorts with a split that goes all the way up there is no hiding behind that and that's just normal and acceptable and nobody yeah. like thinks twice about it so yeah i definitely think that there would be an opportunity um especially yeah. netflix too the way that streamers have changed and the way that their streamers are investing in original content yeah and at a certain point you run out of, like i think the tour de france unchained documentary series that just came out like i think it's only a matter of time now granted it's going to take a little while right but i think it's only a matter of time until we see something like that just because ultra running is people who see it are fascinated by it right like I remember hearing about a hundred mile race for the first time. I was like, "Yeah, okay, so people regularly die doing this, yeah. right? Like this can't be normal." Or like, "How do you train? Do you just like run a hundred miles every day until you run it faster?" Yeah. I, I just didn't under I couldn't wrap my head around it, and that's like kind of how I'm wrapping my head around two hundred mile races, where like I still don't understand. Right. Like, you did not sleep for three days. Did you like do people die? <laughs> it's a very yeah. very similar kind of feeling, but like I think that. So many people have experienced yeah. that, um, like, how is this possible? Right. And, yeah, I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Um, Maybe until... you'll be the one to shoot it, direct it. Hey, I am I am ready. My phone, you know, I don't block any calls, you know, just Netflix. <laughs> Surely right. there's a Netflix uh, executive listening to this. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready. You know, I, I'm ready. Whenever the call comes. I'm so, uh, okay, let's, let's go it. back a little bit. Yep. Um, you finished up the Choose Strong Project. Where do we go from there? Yeah, so finished up Choose Strong Project end of 2022. Um, took a couple of weeks off just because of the intensity of that. And then came back in. Was still working a staff job at the time at BPN. Um, was still running. And, you know, Sally approached me over the winter and she was like hey like i'm gonna do these 200 mile races and i want to do a youtube series on them i was like awesome like let's do it i love youtube um i've been looking 
for a way to get to like get more involved on on the YouTube side because I wasn't really involved in that too much um, at my at my full time job. And so I was like, okay, we'll do that. And then she was like, hey, we can like let's do a film on Cocodona because we work really well together. We we understand each other pretty well. And she gets it like Tyler and I. Uh, she's very comfortable working with us. And that's a big thing with these things is that yeah. if especially when you're going into these races and you're like you're gonna end up in some like pretty like rough vulnerable situations when you're just when like things are falling apart and you're throwing up off the side of the trail like you want people who you can who you can trust for sure and so eventually you know i'm probably late to going freelance like i probably could have gone freelance before this but you know i was very committed to um i want to do it at the right time and then you know this this kogodon project with sally and then there were other things for the summer she's doing four 200 mile races we were talking about films for all of those. There was Western States that came across my calendar. I was like, okay, we can go to Western States 100. We can go to Unbound Gravel. We can go to UTMB, and we can work at all of these races. And it kind of got to this critical mass of like, you know, I think I sat with it and said, I can always go get another staff job. I'm not ruling it. I'm not ruling it out that I wouldn't go back to a full time job. You know, like there's lots of there's lots of yeah. life left to live. There's lots of life circumstances that can change. But you know, I don't have dependents on me right now. Like. I'm not necessarily tied to a location. I can travel whenever I want, like those kind of things. And there was just a critical mass of projects that I wanted to work on that I wasn't sure if we're going to come around again. Like I know that four 200 mile races in a year with um, an athlete who I can consider a friend of mine. I I don't know when that's going to come around again. And so I said, you know what? Like it seems to be the right time. And so, um, you know, all good, all good things like, I still have friends over at, at BPN who, and they've, you know, supported our Tahoe 200 kind of, we, we did some content for them and it was kind of a handshake on the way out of the door. And yeah, I left my job on a Friday and I want to say, or maybe it was a, maybe, yeah, I think it was a Friday. And then like the next Monday I was in Arizona shooting coconut 250. Yeah. Damn. That's sick. Dude. I think, it's definitely scary leaving a job like the security the pay the consistent pay the benefits going into the unknown of freelance or self-employment is tough it's very hard um yeah and like i again like i'll give like i was super fortunate you know to have made that decision on my own terms i know not everybody gets gets that like decision point i was also super fortunate too you know i lived at home for a year and a half before i moved to austin and that enabled me to save up enough money that it was yeah. like, okay, I have some runway. I have some runway if things fall apart. Cause like, yeah, I left and there were a lot of dates on the calendar, but we were still kind of hammering out budgets, hammering out like, was it going to work? Like, you know, um, I had to go buy my first big boy camera, my first cinema camera. And I was like, okay, this is like, this is a serious investment. Yeah. Like this is the cost of a small used car <laughs> um, that I'm putting into this little box yeah. with a little window that, creates images that you can then view on a computer uh, a very simplified version of cameras there that's about all i understand about what goes on but you know um it, it for sure yeah it was absolutely yeah. a risk but i was in a in a fortunate position yeah and i think that's just the way that i process things you know i don't always necessarily respond in the moment and have the right answer, but like I can sit with things and think about them yeah. and come back with the right answer. And I think that was it with freelance again, like, and I have so much respect for people who jump in, they just jump in and do it. Yeah. But for me, I needed to sit with it, wait 
and get the right opportunity. Have you been happy with the decision to leave and, and to like go out on your own and like be able to pick and choose projects and, and be dependent upon yourself? 100%. Yeah. I mean, there have been serious growing pains, especially on the business side. Like I think I was a little bit cocky about how well I understood the business side and I'm still really figuring that out. But no, I, it became very clear to me that the office was just not somewhere that I, that I worked well in. I don't think that an office environment really supports creatives who have to work in the field. Um, it could work for maybe somebody who just has to be creative on the computer, but when you're, you're shooting and you're traveling in the country and I remember coming back from, from Switzerland, having not (laughs) slept in about two days, I remember falling asleep at my desk because I thought it was expected that, well, there was just no structure for an office. How does an office play with like you shot a race where you're shooting for 24 hours straight and right. then you flew back across the world? Like there was just no no structure for that. Yeah. And it just doesn't play well with an office. So that that for sure, going out on my own and, and setting my own schedule. And I'm self-motivated enough that right. I can make it work. Yeah, that is an interesting point of like the creatives need like freedom for sure. Like of any kind, whether it's digital design like graphic design or uh video editing or drawing whatever it is it's like it's such a unique um like craft that you have to have your own freedom to like explore that and and you know go into a space where you're comfortable and like you can extract that like have you ever read the war of art um the war of art no by uh stephen pressfield oh it's so good he talks you'd, you'd enjoy it um i'm gonna butcher it but he talks about like the muse like we all have this thing in us like or, or, i can't remember shit, I'm, I'm just i'm not even gonna try to explain it but basically his thing is like if you show up to this space every day you can like extract something out of yourself but like you have to find what that space is and it's like sometimes you gotta change up the space i don't that was a terrible explanation of the war well, of art it's but it's similar to um to stephen king in on writing he's yeah. like yeah like i sit down at my desk um, and sometimes I forget whether it was, I always, I think it's, he sits until he gets a certain amount yeah, written. Yeah. He's like, I don't care if it's the best. I don't care if it's the worst, Yeah. but like I make that appointment and right. you know, I don't know if now you could read that the other way and say, well, you need to sit in the office and do it that way. Yeah. I think where, what it got to for me was, and I also experienced this with traveling so much, my other job, like it just wasn't compatible for the intensity of some of these shoots. Like if I went for 10 days to Vermont, and I was like, oh, well, you, you were there on Saturday and Sunday, so you get two days off. Like, my sleep schedule from having slept, yeah. you know, four hours in, in five days, or actually, I think we slept a little more. I think we probably slept like seven hours in, in five days. Like, my sleep schedule is not going to be fixed within those two days. Um, right. Honestly, it, I'm still probably dealing with some issues related to the sleep. Um That'll mess you up, dude. Because it messes it messes you up. But like that level of intensity is yeah. just not going to be compatible with an office. Right. Um, and like I think that's the way that that a lot of the industry is going. Like the in house for sure is is an affordable is an affordable way to do it. It's a convenient way to do content. But um, there's a reason that you see big brands like the North Face or like Camelback or something else. They they have producers in house. They have people who like kind of facilitate the marketing and the management, um, and then they bring in the creative team who can really dedicate. Right. A week in the field shooting or right. six weeks in the edit. Um, yeah, I think that model is just, it just makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah. What's been your, uh, your favorite? Well, actually, before I ask that, do you have any, like, things you do to, like, tap into creativity? Like, say you're stuck in an edit on something, because editing can get just, like, brutal on your mind. Like, 
if you're ever stuck on something, do you have like things you do? Do you have like a, a ritual or like habits that you do to like make sure you're staying sharp and like staying creative? I mean, definitely I will just start to throw things in a timeline and be like, let's get close or like, let's just pull out the best points and like throw them together and see what happens. Um, the other thing that I'll also try for sure is like, okay, what is the moment or the emotion or the, you know, the, the pull and release of conflict that I want to happen? Like, let's just focus on that one thing and just see if we can make it work. Um, for sure, that's a strategy. Another strategy too is like, hey, if there are films or things that I enjoy, let's go back and rewatch it. Let's go frame by frame for a minute. Like, or let's just like rewatch a scene or two here or there. Let's study how the music plays in and that kind of thing. And like really pay attention to all the little stuff just to get my head again, right. thinking about not just like, if you, you'll get overwhelmed by the whole piece, right. like it has to be 45 minutes and, and all this stuff. But if you go and you, you just remember like, well, I mean, we have to build the building block somehow. Right. Like I definitely got stuck on this, this Tahoe 200 film, uh, when for, that come for out? a while. So that's coming out, uh, next Friday from today. So that's, uh, that's the, right. the first, 25th. The first Friday in October, is that? Yeah. yeah. Like, it'll be the first Friday in October. Nice. Um, so by the time this comes out, people can watch that. Yeah, so by the time people it comes out. But like, yeah, like I definitely got stuck on that and I needed to settle on the, yeah, I need to just start putting the building blocks together and like really just break it down to little moment, little moment. And then you build those little moments and then you stitch them together. Mm. Do you, uh, how do you go about like for Tahoe, for example, like how many hours of footage did you have from Tahoe? Uh, I mean, we shot for four days. It's a, it's a good amount of footage. How there do was you... a bunch of GoPro footage. There's a bunch of interviews. There are a couple hours of, of interview. Um, Dang. Because I do pretty long interviews, for sure. Not to go into too much detail, like how do you go about taking four days of footage and condensing it into like 45 minutes? I feel like a lot of people would be curious about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, so... I think editing interviews is my superpower. Um, that's another thing that I will unashamedly claim. Uh, and when I edit interviews, there's just something something in my brain like connects with like I can just start to organize stuff. I listen to everything at 2x speed. I do occasionally do transcripts as well just to like especially a long form interview. You need transcripts. Yeah. And I go through and I mark stuff and I chop stuff up and I start to organize by whether it's theme or with these race with the races like there is a logic to it where it's like okay these parts go towards the beginning. These parts go towards the middle. These parts go towards the end, and then I start. I start building from those building blocks and and chaining stuff together. Yeah, and when it comes to four days of race footage, I just try and build scenes. I try and say, okay, this is this is a scene like where I need to accomplish something. Like whether it's an aid station. Okay, we're gonna watch this aid station footage, and like, what's the most important couple of things that come out of this? It's probably not every little detail of clothing change or maybe it is because we need to get that clothing change because then we go into the night, we get hypothermia and that like really messes up the race. Okay, so what's that like important thing that comes out of that scene? What do we need to accomplish with it? Or, I mean, yeah, there are going to be scenes that's just like, we just need to get through it. We just need to move through it. Um, if you watch my edits and you hear like a drum track or something like that and you see fast cuts, it's normally just like, yeah, we just need to get through it. <laughs> Dude, that's that's a lot. It reminds me of like how you uh, train or how you um, tackle like an ultra or like a race of any kind, like an endurance event. It's like if you think of the whole thing, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to finish this thing. It's so much. But if you just chunk it down and like, okay, just get to the next aid station or just get to the next mile. It's like just focus on this scene, 
and then the next scene, and then the next scene, and then at the end, you can just like piece it all together, basically, right? It's like this big puzzle. Yeah, yeah, and it's overwhelming to think of it. Like, yeah. that's where a lot of people get stuck, is like, I need the perfect film that's 40 minutes long. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get there? And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, and I mean, I, I do want to be tangible, too. I don't just want to be one of those people who like puts it out there as like, you just have to start. Like, that's, that's not helpful advice. But yeah, it's like thinking about what is that, those bits and pieces that make sense for you. I mean, if you, if you need to cut the ending first, cut the ending first. Like, right. there have been films that I've made where it's like, yeah, the ending was so clear. Like, we'll just cut that together. Great. Um, and there's some where it's like, okay, the middle, like Tahoe, for sure, there was a big chunk in the middle where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. But I spent a lot of time on the intro while I was like thinking about the the middle, you know, and I also believe like running is a huge part of my processing for an edit. Like there's definitely, oh, yeah. and again, this gets back to like how it doesn't fit into the office box. Like there are times where it's like, okay, we're super stuck. We're frustrated. I don't know where it's going. Go for a run. You get away from the mouse. You get away from the phone. You get away from having to stare at the clips and listen. And you just kind of get to like, you, you get the ideas and the emotion to flow without being so burdened by like, I have to listen to it or it's at 2x speed or Premiere's freezing and crashing and getting in my way, like that kind of thing. Like everything just gets to flow and a little bit right. more of your idea space and then you get to come back refreshed. That's so cool. Dude, it's, it's like this big, it's like this big series of decision making when you're editing mm -hmm. too. That's the way I've There's so many right it. answers, right? Yeah. Like that took me a while to really settle on is that that's one of the hardest parts i feel like there are and you know i didn't yeah, i had a conversation with sally today about the film and i was like look like there's a really good 20 minute film there's also a really good 35 minute film and neither of those are wrong answers one just takes more time yeah that's so hard i, I think it was actually tyler that said uh it's just decision making because so i was like i was editing some long video or something and i was like dude my head hurts so bad <laughs> like why does my head hurt i've just been editing i mean i'm starting to screen too but he's like dude it's just decision making it's like that like prefrontal cortex is just working every single time do i cut here or do i cut here do i move this song here or do i put it back here do i use do i use this shot or this shot it's like just decision making over and over and over again it's like it's it takes so much brain power yeah, it, it really does. And sometimes you, you get burdened by like, oh, well, this might not work. Should I do it? Yeah. It's like, I've gotten to a point where it's like, just do it. It's just pixels on a computer. You can hit undo. <laughs> like, all right, we spent five minutes. We chopped some of the clips around. Doesn't work. All right, we'll just undo our way out of it. Right. And we'll go down the other path. But like sometimes you just have to test it and try. Do you prefer shooting or editing? Oh, this is a great question. This is a great question, Jeremy. Um, I really prefer shooting. Um, but I will say the right project, editing the right project is incredibly gratifying and like, yeah. is such a, such a fun experience to be a part of, but like, yeah, I definitely get a lot more joy out of being out in the field on location yeah. than I do out of like, just kind of chipping away, slogging away in the edit. What's a project where you edited where you're like, Oh, that one was fun. I'm, I'm glad I did that one. Yeah, I mean, too strong for sure. Yeah. Like that was, that was my. I mean, Tyler was instrumental in the whole thing, but like I really had to shoulder a brunt of the edit, um, just because he was getting pulled away to do other projects during that time when we were working together. So that, yeah, I mean, that edit was great. Um, oh, 
I mean, you've done like thousands of videos. Yeah, I know. There's so, <laughs> there's so many. I mean, there are definitely some. There have been some like Instagram reels that I've enjoyed. Yeah. Like just because like it's come together, especially some of the the quick turn stuff from yeah. from ultras like the day of, like just getting to like see something, experience it, cut it together real quick, share it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's such a cool craft. So that's so cool. It is. It is a. It is a craft. Like that's something too that I've tried to. Like yeah. I think there's like a lot of like glamour in some ways given to like the creator <laughs> oh i have uh all these new tools and like my perfectly crafted workspace and like i work i do backflips off of cliffs in mexico and that kind of thing but like you know right like in in the truest sense like a craft like a craft isn't always glamorous right. a, a craftsman who makes a boat isn't like just crafting the thing I, I, I forget what it's called the thing that goes on the front of the boat you know like the pretty ornate oh, animal yeah. head or whatever that goes on the front like no you have to make all the boring parts too right you know and so yeah i've definitely and there's some people in the industry who i look up to who to like treat it as a craft yeah so what are your uh what are some like next big projects you're working on i know we've got the tahoe film first i also work with people um Watch that if they want to watch yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. The Tahoe film is going to be on Sally's YouTube channel, Sally McRae. Uh, you can also find her on Instagram at Yellow Runner. Uh, you can also probably find it somewhere on my Instagram at Drewby Darby. Uh, we'll just throw that in there. Just throw the B in there. Throw the B in there and you'll find me for the brand. Never forget the B. Um, yeah, so next big projects for sure. Uh, Moab 240 is going to be the last of Sally's 200-mile races this year. So we're excited to be headed out there in a couple of weeks. And then... Um, honestly, I, I'm trying to ramp down here at the end of the year. Like I'd really like December to be pretty focused on the business, on wrapping things up well, wrapping things up with excellence for the year. And also, I mean, I haven't been, I haven't had a chance to see my family since Christmas last year. Um, and, and little nephews and and nieces and stuff. So for sure, like want December to also be focused on, on that because for a long time, you know, I have put work in front of in front of family and, yeah. and those things, and I see now that that I I don't know I I want to improve on that for sure, and so yeah, this year's slowly winding down, but I mean Moab's going to be Moab two forty is a it's a big race, it's an iconic race. People have yeah. big names have run it. David Goggins has run it. Corey Dewalter has run it. Jeff Browning set the course record there. Like it's a it's going to be an adventure for sure. That's going to be sick. So are you guys putting together a film? Because she's doing, it's the Grand Slam of 200s. Yes. Are you putting together a film for all four of those? Uh, we are not putting together a film for Bigfoot. That conflicted, oh, that's right. that conflicted okay. with another project. Um, now, there will probably be some, some Bigfoot stuff will probably make its way into Moab. Uh, we're still concepting that. Like, for sure, this whole, like, Grand Slam of, of, ultra, of 200 mile races yeah. is going to be, that's going to be a theme that we're going to draw out in this last film. So you have Coca-Cola film, Tahoe film coming out. And then Moab film. Yep. Will there be one like kind of compiling all four races into like one Grand Slam project? That's a great idea, Jeremy. I just thought of it. That's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, you know, we've been. Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, funds. We need funds. Yeah, there's definitely. Could it be funded? And there's also just the barrier of time. Yeah. Because uh, I know that Moab film. You know, we shoot in the beginning of October. Try to get it out before Thanksgiving. Um, Another quick turnaround. Ideally, I mean though that. I guess before the end of the year, but yeah, like if that stretches into December, then it's like the year's over. And then, um, you know, the fun thing working with professional athletes, it's always something new. The off season doesn't last too, doesn't last too long. Then we're we're building back up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Sally and with, uh, with a couple other people who I'm working with, I know the buildup for next year is something that's already being plotted and planned. And so I'm, I'm 
got my eyes on some things for next year for sure. Can you talk about it yet? Um, no, it's not my place to talk about somebody okay. else's okay. athletic plans, Fair but enough. like, uh, for sure there are some, there's some sequels. That's, that's what I'll say. There's some sequel oh, nice. films that I'd like to make next year Heck that, yeah. that hopefully have some, some legs and, and get out there and we can all get excited about people doing crazy things together. I love it, dude. What's, what's like the, uh, the big dream for Drewby Darby, like crushing these ultra marathon films, the trail running world, the goat of trail media, where do we go from here? We're just going to like keep working our way up or what's your, what's your big goal? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have a big goal right now. The two goals I have for myself for sure. One is I just want to do more of what I want to do and less of what I don't want to do. Hmm. And that's just kind of the guiding, the guiding light right now. Um, that's a good, and then two is like, I just want to make more work that anyone can get excited about watching even like the narrative films i was making like they were just kind of weird i don't think everyone really enjoyed watching who i made watch them dude you should or, see some of the films we made in high school yeah. we should have like a high school film fest oh, that, I, that relive would, one day for sure i mean don't i'll send a film don't invite me you know that kind of thing um but yeah like like more films that are just like enjoyable by people like i use my mom as a as a, a measuring stick like if my mom can watch something and she can understand it and she can enjoy it for mm. like 45 minutes like that's something that I enjoy because she like she's not a runner like she's not right. but she like really enjoyed watching Choose Strong and there was a long time with like some of the prison stuff that I was making and she was just like I, like this is just like hard to watch yeah like, it's just like tough man. so yeah I mean but for sure the big guiding light is like more of what I want to do um, and more of what gets me excited do you think it'll be trail running or just endurance stuff in general for the next bit at least yeah definitely i mean yeah. I'm, I'm all in on on trail running i think it's an incredible sport yeah um whether you're the most elite athlete or whether you're at the back of the pack just trying to figure it out like one of my favorite films i made this year was uh with my friend gabe yeah. who was just setting out to to run a 50 miler after recovering from very serious brain surgery and that was a really special experience. I got to pace yeah. him and run with him for, for 12, 13 miles as a I part know you of paced doing too. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, cool. cause that was the only way to get cameras where we need to get cameras right. was you got to get out there. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just so all in on trail running and endurance in general, like anything where, because you have the room to like really tell yeah. a full complete story. Like some events are just so fast, like on the track, right? Like everything happens so fast. Right. But, so much can change in an ultra. We, I mean, you see people go out in front, blow up, put it back together. Mike McKnight this year at Cogadona. It was so cool. Yeah. I mean, like we were, we were further behind at certain points, but like, it was cool to like hear the rumblings of like, Oh, is Mike going to drop? Like, we don't know. And they just come storming back to win it. And it's just so cool. And only in a long, yeah. serious endurance event. Can you get those kind of stories where it's like somebody is totally, totally could be out of it. Um, by hours and hours. And they just come storming back to win. Dude, Mike is a freaking savage. And like the nicest guy. Of course, every other ultra runner. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're the nicest humans. Yeah, dude, running and I think ultra running especially is just so like metaphorical. And it's just like so, it's a perfect canvas for storytelling, I feel like. Yep. And it's like you're always filming somewhere beautiful too. So it's like the footage looks nice because you're usually somewhere mountainous. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a big plus too for sure. Dude. Well, I think we... Uh, 
extended our chat here. I think it's already dark outside. Oh <laughs> We're supposed to shoot after this, but we might have missed that. So we'll have to figure that out later. But wow. dude, thanks for coming on, man. This is fun. Thanks for having me. No, I mean, it's fun to, I think about like, yeah, like we worked in the same office for a little bit, but like we really connected through running. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with Jeremy's early work, you know, some reels, like you'll see me in there, you'll see Tyler in (laughs) there, like in the background and stuff. And so, I mean, that's just another fun thing with like running has just becomes, it's just been fun to let that be such a central part of my life because for so long, it wasn't part of my life. And then like, I became like a fan and like, I was just running all on my own for like two and a half, three years. And then to have it kind of just be part of this like community thing right. and part of work and and it's just been incredible. So yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Oh, of course, dude. Chatting for a while. Of course, man. Do you think you'll ever get tired of running? I actually, I was actually thinking about this today. I was like, because I get bored of things so easily, and running it like from an objective view is like one of the most boring things you can do. But I'm like, I don't think I'll ever get bored of it. Like, do you think you ever will? No, I'm sure there will be seasons where like I run less. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, like, you know, I went through, you, you saw it, like I went through some injury stuff this summer yeah. and I wasn't running and like coming back and like being out of shape. Oh my gosh. It makes me so angry. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, I do not want to feel this way again. So like, yeah, there will definitely be seasons where like right now, like I'm only running like 25, 30 miles a week and yeah, like I wish I could be running more and be smart about my buildup, but like there'll be seasons of that. But no, I don't think at least for the next like 10 years. And I have lots of, I have goals. I have goals right. too. I want to run. I, I have some ambitious goals for myself in running too. BQ, I, 100 miler. Yeah, for sure. For sure to both of those. Yeah. yeah. Dude, this is great, man. Thanks for coming on, being vulnerable, sharing your story with us. I actually learned a lot of things I didn't know about you today. This is fun. <laughs> there you go. I'll bring on my podcast when I start it. Oh, there we go. I can't wait for Drew B. Darby experience. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big B on the wall. Yeah uh dude where is the uh best place for people to connect with you and uh if they may want to hire you for your trail media running media expertise yeah the the two places are instagram at druby darby or drubydarby.com there's you can find me there reach me there beautiful yep. thanks dude all right see you later everybody Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And thank you to our sponsors of this episode, 2before Performance Nutrition. Use the code JMiller for $10 off your order at 2before.com, and you can feel the powerful benefits of New Zealand blackcurrant berries. We'll see you in the next one.